Welcome back, everybody, to episode four of Dear America Podcast. I am back in the studio with my good friend, Steve. Uh, if you listened to the first episode, you heard him. Uh, t- we talked about you know him joining the Army, his basic training, and his deployment to Afghanistan. I am joined with my producer, Casey. Yo. And with uh, the special guest this week, Rick, who hey. is coming down from Green Bay, to, or coming over from Green Bay. <laughs> I'm here it's a little Bay. down. Eh, no, we're um, more north. Most, mostly over. Yeah. yeah. It's a little terrible. Mo- <laughs> mostly west. Uh, I asked Steve to come back uh, for a couple of reasons. First off, uh, he agreed. Because, uh, we were kind of talking off air after recording uh, last week, uh, episode uh, f- uh, three. Um, and some come down to be as a co-host, uh, as somebody that could ask better questions or help me ask better questions uh, coming from a background in the military uh, and provide a little bit more insight on that. And hopefully I, uh, my goal is to open up the conversation a little bit more uh, with you know, anyone that's come down on this show. And secondly, uh, on episode one, we talked a lot of what it was like being deployed um, and but we never really got a chance to talk about what it was like coming home and transitioning back into you know a quote unquote normal life, if you will, uh, which we got to talk a little bit on the last episode with Corey Josh and Penny. Um, so Steve, thanks again for taking time out of your your day coming down to the studio this evening. Glad to be here, man. Um, so <coughs> you know, like we said, you know, Talk about a lot of what your deployment was like over there. You, you know, you, so I assume when you are on deployment, you know when your last day is, correct? Or I kind of. Um, it's usually like, I mean, for us, it was like, hey, uh, mm-hmm. we got a helicopter out of here tomorrow, kind of thing. Sure. So you, you kind of have a general idea of when you're leaving, but like a, like a, a week window. At 173rd Airborne came in, like two weeks early to replace us and then we just sat there for a couple weeks sure. so you don't really know like exactly when but you kind of have a rough idea uh, in those last two weeks i mean do they put you on any patrols or anything or you Fuck just yes. basically stay oh. uh the day before the day before uh we left <laughs> i got sent i got thrown out on another patrol in which my team leader used me as bait which was awesome because i got shot at <laughs> while being bait <laughs> Um, and that's he's what, like, hey, is that when you had to run the 200 meters? Yes. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, hey, you go this way around this house and, with a couple of these people, and I'm going to go this way. And I'm like, start walking. And I turn around. There's nobody else with me. And I'm like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> and I come around the corner and immediately start getting shot at. It's hitting like, it's hitting like five, six feet over my head. So I'm like, yeah, it's not that close. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and then he's like yelling for me, like, get the fuck over here. So I'm like, you know, with, with my you know, 55 pounds of fucking ammo on my back and like bounding across open field. Yeah, it was, it was, it was shitty. And then going back to the cop, like we were probably 300 meters from the wire. We were pretty close. And I, uh, sprained the shit out of my ankle. Last patrol of the deployment, <laughs> sprained my ankle. I'm like, this is, this fucking figures. So, yes. And then, and then the next day flew out, um, to the fob so that we could get ready to head back to the States. I mean, aside from your your patrol, I mean, what was going through your head those last 24 hours in Afghanistan? What was it like going through your head? Um, Or even during that patrol? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, this is is probably the time I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) die. 
You got that like retired cop, like (laughs) I'm this close to retirement. Yeah, um, everyone like there's there just so much tension. Them. Like everyone was just ready to get out of there. Like I remember, um, they'd kicked us out of our rooms because we had the the building we were in was initially a schoolhouse that we built for the Afghani's in like 2006, I think, and then the Taliban took from them for their stronghold, and then in 2009 we're like, "Fuck you," and we took that back from the Taliban. So then we just turned that into a base. <laughs> Clearly, they couldn't be trusted to keep that as a school. So we have, like, this two-story concrete building. Um, I was staying on the second floor for most of the deployment, but with, like, two weeks left, they kicked us out. So now we're in, like, tents, exposed tents, um, out a little ways away from the building. And I remember, like, the last day, there was just, like, so much anxiety, (laughs) so much, like, tension. Like, I just want to get the fuck out of here that one of my buddies comes running out of the tent and throws a fucking 308 round on the fire. (laughs) We're like, oh shit! <laughs> Everyone fucking scatters. Like we're just sitting there in the tent waiting for this thing to go off. Like, yeah, it's like pe- people go a little nuts when you've got like one or two days left. Just want yeah. to get get just out. Just want to get the fuck home. out of there. So you know, obviously you did make it home. Um, what was your flight like? Uh, did you come back directly to the U.S. or to the U.S. Excuse me, or did you have layovers or anything? So you go through um, Kyrgyzstan which is north of, of Afghanistan first. Manas Air Force Base is there. To, they do all like the in-processing, out-processing going to Afghanistan. So we flew there for a couple days um, and then had to sit there and wait for a flight. What's that? What, so in-process, out-process, what's that like? Or what is Paperwork. that? <laughs> I mean, if you're going in, you have to go through a bunch of like check, check the, blo- the box training, like, Hey, here's this vehicle. It rolled over. Get out of it. Like, hey, you know how to do that. Cool. That kind of shit. Um, out processing is it's just a lot of paperwork. A lot of sitting around, like waiting for a flight, getting yelled at by people who spent their whole deployment on like you know Bagram, eating at McDonald's every day. <laughs> we actually that actually happened to us. Uh, so we were going from one building to another one, and I was a PFC at the time. And my one of my best friends, who was also a PFC, who had previously been a specialist, I think twice, he kept getting demoted because, you know, he had a mouth on him. <laughs> but the two of us are in, are in line. We're going from one building to another one. We're like, fuck it, I'm not, I'm not finding, you know, my, my patrol cap to put it on, which in the Army, if you're outside, you're supposed to have your patrol cap on, right? <clears throat> but we're like, we're just so ready to go home. We don't really give a shit. And this warrant officer walks up to us. And he's like, and we're just, you know, we're sitting there bullshitting. He walks up to us and he's like, hey, you two are the only ones in this entire formation without your PCs on. <laughs> and my, my buddy, his name's Cody, um, true to form, cool. looks back and there's like, fun. he finds like three, he sees like three other people that don't have their PCs on. He's like, well, sir, we're not the only ones that don't have their PCs on. <laughs> <laughs> and he like, at this point, he thinks he's got us and he's like, well, you know, it's your job to make sure that everyone's got their PCs on then. And Cody's like, it's not my fucking job. Like, I'm telling you it is your job. And he's like, but it's not my job. It is your job. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. And then this guy storms off, comes back with the fucking Sergeant Major that's like in charge of our entire flight. <laughs> and, you know, Cody immediately snaps like to parade rest, which is, you know, a position of like respect. It's a considered a modified position of attention. He's sitting there at parade rest and the Sergeant Major's like, what's going on here? And the, the warrant officer gets all sniveling. He's like, well, 
well, sir, Major, some people didn't want to put their PCs on. He's like, well, did they? And, you know, the two of us are sitting there with our PCs on at this point. He's like, well, yeah. And he's like, oh, what's the fucking problem? And he storms off. And it was just, it was the funniest goddamn thing. Fun, funny story, I was actually like two seats away from that warrant officer on the flight home. And he just like glared at me the entire fucking time. It was great. <laughs> You got punked by a private man. <laughs> they really don't like that. <laughs> no, that and that in um, the area I was sitting in. So I got put on baggage detail, which a lot of times is like, like it sucks because you're the one fucking loading all the bags on the airplane. But um, half the time, like you can get thrown in first class for that. So a lot of people volunteer for it. Well, this is one of those times they didn't throw you in first class. They just loaded everyone on on first, so they were at the back of the plane. But my squad leader was the one who was in charge of this baggage detail. So we're all getting on, everyone's filing to the back, and he's like, to the back, to the back. He looks at me and he's like, oh, Weiss, go upstairs. <laughs> so I'm upstairs in like the fucking like ultra first class <laughs> with a bunch of officers and warrant officers who was, you know, like two two seats away from me at this point. <laughs> and I'm I'm the only private up there surrounded by officers. And you know, it was uh, it was a great 12-hour flight. I watched, uh, well, this was 2012. I watched 21 Jump Street, think, four times. Um, I laughed really hard every time. Kept That's a lot of people a good awake. movie. They got really That's mad at good. me. The lieutenant next to me was really mad that I was keeping him awake. But mm -hmm. I was like, you know, fuck you. You sat on the file the whole time. Suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. From Kyrgyzstan, then they flee directly back to the U.S.? Yeah, we, we had a layover in Germany. Um, and that's where you second time getting a layover in Germany. Yeah, that's where I got absinthe. that's where I got the absinthe the first time when I was in R and R that got you uh, <laughs> oh fucking wasted. I was <laughs> I was, uh, I was interested that it was a warrant officer who yeah, made a big deal that of like everything that like really threw me off at first right. when he like came up because he said something at usually first, they don't give a shit was, about anything. I thought he was joking right. around at first. Yeah, and then it was like. All of a sudden, the dawn of me, I'm like, oh man, this motherfucker's serious. Because right. usually they don't care. They usually, they're like, well, they're usually we got like the one warrant officer that actually yeah, cares. Weird. Like for reference, warrant officers like fall between enlisted and officer. They're kind of in a gray area. Well, so warrant and officers are confusing because they they're not sir, they're not like sergeant. They're like technically, I guess, Mister. No, well, like, or Mister. Like yeah. Mister, it's supposed to be like Mister Roland. Like if I were a warrant officer, which so. is weird. It feels strange to say it that way. They're also and super. So, they're also notoriously lazy. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. there's a there's a running joke with warrant officers that like <clears throat> they bring two hats to work, and they put one on their desk, and they just they just leave. And so whenever anyone's looking for him, they're like, oh well, his hat's on his desk. He's got to be here somewhere. Right. And they're just off doing you know, whatever. That's a really they good idea. Well, it's a great idea. So, so, but that's like that's the, a running joke as to how how little they care. And like we got the one that did care, right? <laughs> well, the, the I whole have a, thing with warrant officers is that the reason that they have they're like technically a warrant officer, they're an officer kind of because they're really good at one thing. Like it's a technical right. skill. All, basically, all the pilots in the army are warrant officers. All, like, all the helicopter pilots right. in the army are, are so warrant officers. So you have officers. like you yeah. have this thing where you these people have like really specific technical skills, and they're very good at one thing. So they're not necessarily lazy. They just don't give a shit about anything else. Anything outside of their skill. Like no. they're they're <laughs> they're basically left alone by everyone in the military. Like warrant officers are guys who are like. 
they're pilots or whatever they do. Sometimes you'll have like surgeons who are warrant officers. So they or have whatever basically else. the indispensable skill, and then yeah, but they're, they're like, you, you want to know how, how like how mm-hmm. little they they care. Um, I did I did reserves for about a year and a half after I got out. Um, I was on individual ready reserve, which is like it's like inact inactive reserve where they can like if they need you they can call you back. And I got slightly paranoid in 2017 because you know Trump is president. Yep. I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna lose my insurance. I don't know if they're yeah. gonna try to send me somewhere stupid because E five infantry on IRR is a premium. Like sergeants right. on infantry are a premium because most infantry on on IRR are like. Like lower enlisted that get out after three years, and most people that make sergeant as infantry stay in for past their eight year enlistment, so they're not doing any of this time on IRR. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm kind of a black sheep, and I'm like, I don't want to get snatched. If I switch over to active reserve, they'll give me like a year, a two year grace period, which is past my commitment time, so I, I can't get deployed while I'm going to school. So I sign over for this, and our commander, we get. A commander who likes to, you know, call people up to the front to, to say shit mm-hmm. um, during presentations, and she calls up a, uh, a warrant officer, and she's like, "Oh, you know, chief, uh, give me your uh, your take on this." And she's like, "Well, ma'am, um, I think that um, it's really stupid to call people to the front when they don't want to fucking talk." And she just walks and sits down. <laughs> <laughs> it was super goddamn funny, and that's just, and like and everyone was like, "Oh well, what else? What did you think was gonna happen?" That's a like, you perfect example of a warrant officer. They don't. <laughs> so like, warrant officers are almost not in the military while being in the military because they don't have to follow a lot of the rules. Yep. Like if an officer walks into a room and you're enlisted, you have to go to a attention um you have to like call out attention like whatever um warrant officers can just stay in their chair they don't have to acknowledge that at all they don't care if they're in their room and you know it's not just their hat in their <laughs> right yeah, yeah so like it's just very rare the, the e scale like e1 is recruit correct well that's is that private it's private private yeah e5 is sergeant Yes, e sergeant. Yeah. Where does warrant officer? Fall? It does. It's, so it's that's its own a, thing. It's it's so, okay. You go from one e, through five. You go from E one to E nine, which is like sergeant major, and then O one is second lieutenant through, you know, O nine. O O O nine, which is general. Um, like during I think world, the last time we had O ten was World War Two, which is you know like no, that was Eisenhower. You, you, you have to five have an star. officially declared war to have an O ten. Right. Um. um so warrant officer is, is kind of it's co co one through it's four is it four or five is it co now or is it it was wo I remember or wo yeah, yeah. it's wo uh, I think it goes, through, it goes through five right it's through five yeah. yeah and they kind of like they're kind of like off the pay scale yeah. kind of thing like you, like nobody really knows what to do with them nobody like has enlisted any it's idea. like should I like be deferential to them which most enlisted are and the officers it's like. Are they under me? Or are they not under me? It's just, it's kind of a, a weird gray area. I feel like I, I would have really enjoyed it. It sounds officer. like being a warrant officer is the best job it in the military. It is. It is. Because far, far the away only it is. people who know what warrant officers do are, are warrant officers. officers. <laughs> and they, they, and they don't, don't fuck with each other. They're no. like their own, like, they don't like, care. Click. They, yeah, don't they don't share care. information with anyone else. Nope. So when you're like, I actually asked one of my pilots, like, so what is it like what where are you guys like what do you guys do and he's like don't worry about that and he left like, <laughs> like, 
He walked away from me. He's just like, don't worry about it. That's the uh, that's the Delta response. <laughs> so we uh, we uh, were supposed to do a mission with SF while we were over there with Special Forces, and it ended up getting postponed for three days. Which if a if a mission gets postponed for three days, it gets scrubbed, which which kind of <laughs> sucked. Although we were just like outer security to a town while they did their thing was what what we were supposed to do. But we spent a lot of time training for this, and when we were training with the SF guys. We had one guy um, among them who just wore like he's wearing like a fucking five eleven tactical sweater, <laughs> khakis <laughs> and Merrill boots, and he's got like yeah. a, like an H and K four sixteen, which is like it's like an M four but substantially better. It's like a very it's, fancy. It's, it's piston weapon. driven. You you could fire two clips, two magazines through that, grab the barrel, and it wouldn't even be hot. Just it's the, it's the, way the it's, type of weapon that you're not going to get being deployed regularly. Even even like, even being infantry, you're not getting that shit. What's right? a, wait, we'll put the back it up a little bit, sorry. What's a the five eleven tactical sweater? Oh, 511's yeah. a company that makes a lot of like Tactical, tactical stuff gear. like they'll, they'll tactical. be like, cool. Look at this sweater. <laughs> it's tactical. That that's the kind of that's the kind of shit he was wearing. And our platoon sergeant, who was um, who was a fat piece of shit. I'll, I'll <laughs> be I'll be honest. Um, he he went up to him and he's like, so uh, what rank are you? <laughs> and me and my buddy are listening to this whole exchange. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. He's like, are, are you are you in the army? And he, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, like like. Are you in the army? And he's like, and he, the dude's. He's got this big ass beard, right? Which is which is weird because we're all required to be clean shaven. SF isn't, which is just glorious. And he's like, yeah, dude, don't fucking worry about it. And it was just, it was great to watch how angry he made my little, you know, butterball platoon <laughs> sergeant, that's, who almost got me killed. That's why, that's why I talk shit about him because he's he almost there, got me fucking killed. Was he the one who why, made you bait? No, 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 no. <laughs> and that was, you know, that's that's why under the bridge. Um, okay, I understood why he was doing that. No, he's he uh, pulled the fetal position in a in the middle of a firefight when we were like pinned the fuck down, like right around like three inches over my head. My buddy's trying to stand up. I'm like holding him down, like, dude, if you stand up, you are you are going to die. And we look over, and he's just like in the fetal position. His rifle's like two feet away from him. Yeah. Yeah. Probably should have told somebody about that. <laughs> Could have gotten him fired. He got promoted when we got back. You know, par for the course. Of course. <laughs> That's about right, though. Yeah. <laughs> we do all the work, and then you get promoted. So, whatever. He used to tell us that he like, hey, I'm not going to go and patrol with you guys. I got a, uh, I got this generator that needs to be fixed. I'm like, well, that's cool, man. We got mechanics, but, you know, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> there are literally a if you're not on of patrol, guys for that. <laughs> but you're not on, if you're not on patrol with us, you can't get me killed, right. so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of the uh, sergeant from um, uh, Band of Brothers. God, I hope he sees this. The one that they got in trouble uh, <laughs> when they're still in training. Oh, in oh David Schwimmer. Yes, <laughs> David yeah. Schwimmer's character who gets demoted down to uh, supply sergeant. Um, I, I don't know what the... I don't. The technical. Yeah, he, I think he was like a captain or something. He was a captain. Yeah. 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 Um, that but, was actually really close to my uh, to my first lieutenant, who we we ended up throwing him under the bus. Um, we wouldn't have done it if he wasn't, you know, a piece of shit. But he uh, his idea of a mission brief. So we're on we're on a joint security station, which is like this. This couldn't have been more than like seventy five meters by seventy five meters each way. It was tiny. Um, we took indirect fire, like mortars, RPGs quite a bit um we're a good ways away from the cops so we, we don't have a whole lot of support and his idea of a mission brief when we'd go out in the morning was like he'd say a prayer and be like all right let's go that way 
But like, I don't have any fucking idea what's going on. What? Like, God is his general. <laughs> especially when I, especially like when I showed up to this unit as they were deploying straight out of basic training. You know, like we talked about last time when they were like, "Hey, welcome to one for one. We're going to Afghanistan in three weeks," and I'm like, "Fuck my life. I'm going to die." Um, yeah, that was just mind blowing to me. Um, that's he was exactly like David Schwimmer, where he was just like <laughs> like a hard charger, but then he was just dumb as a but box also of rocks. couldn't read a map. Yeah, <laughs> he literally, and this is like this is like the stuff of and you, and you you know this is like the stuff of Lieutenant Legend, right? With not being able to read a fucking map. <laughs> this dude gets up. This dude literally like in like dramatic fashion gets up on top of the wall one day and points, and he's like, "We're gonna go that way today." West, and we're like, sir, that's east. And he's like, yeah, whatever. We're going that way. And I'm like, so I'm gonna fucking die today. I'm, I'm gonna the die. funny yeah. thing about that is that's like a stereotype. His lieutenants can't read maps. It's a stereotype. The, the problem it's is, it's, it, it is true. It's not a stereotype. It's a fact. Wait, but um, who the fuck can't read a map? Everyone it's who's a second hard. lieutenant. Everyone who's a second Literally lieutenant everyone. cannot read a fucking map. All of them. Corey, um, I got some follow up questions. Next time I, I see you, I. I have, I actually can I tell a story? I have a yeah, fun story for it. about a second lieutenant. So uh, I, I was, love these. So I'm deployed. <laughs> um, run a like a I'm medvac unit. I'm a sergeant at the time, and so I'm like the team leader for our chopper and everything. Um, we had a second lieutenant who comes in because our first second lieutenant got injured. Um, he actually got uh, shot and got sent home. So we have the second lieutenant who comes. I don't know where he came from, um, but he comes in and he's like, there's going to be some changes. Like, that's his first line, and I'm like, fuck, oh, this is going to be good. We're off to a bad start. This is going to be great. Keep going. (laughs) It's going to be awesome to have you around. And (laughs) so then he's like, I'm going to go on missions with you guys. And so we're like, that's a bad idea. (laughs) Because second lieutenants are supposed to be running, like, the base where we fly out of you're supposed to be like organizing resource management and all that kind of stuff and he's like well I'm gonna go on missions so I know what's happening out there and he's like full balls to the wall like I'm gonna know what's up like I'm not gonna be that second lieutenant who doesn't know what's going on and I'm like that's your job though you already are (laughs) you are and also your job is to be the guy at the desk that's what you've been trained for you're not supposed to come with and so he insists, and I'm like, whatever. I can't tell you no, so you're going to come with. Sounds good. So we get a nine line. And a little bit, a little <clears throat> bit of background um, for those of you who aren't military. Uh, a nine line is a, is a medevac request. So mm-hmm. when they have someone who is injured and they need a medevac, they send up its very uh, formulated response like, Line one, location. Line two, is it um, radio call sign, frequency? And yep. they, they go down this checklist, giving each line and a lot of its like codes. So you can like, um, we used to practice this as 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 infantry. This was you know this was um, something we needed to know, and we used to practice. So you you needed to get, you need to get through five lines to get. Yep. the bird off the ground and we used to be like the standard was you need to have the first five lines which describes location your call sign type um like the severity of the injury and um what is what is for like equipment 
Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And, so it's and special the, type, the type of equipment that you need to have on the bird, you and we needed to have that out within within twenty seconds. And yeah. if you if you were good at it, you could have it in ten. Because you, you use a lot of like uh, brevity codes, like I could say line four alpha, which would mean um, I don't remember what it is at this point, but yeah, I think so, I think delta was no special equipment required, right. which yeah, some of it would be like extraction equipment. If you had a rollover and you had you needed to have special equipment to get in the vehicle, so like but, a sawzall yeah. or the jaws of life, if right. you will. So yeah. sidebar aside, that's that's what a nine line is. It's just yeah. That so and, well, and then you need like your number of patients. You need uh, the type of wounds like what's going on um but that's all after like the initial so to nine line a chopper you need the first four and really like ideal ideally bird being chopper or or helicopter yeah Yeah. okay um so you need like the first few nines of or first few lines of a nine line a nine line is just it's really just a way to streamline communication about what's happening um so anyway so we get a nine and it drops in so this second lieutenant's like well i'm going on this and i'm like all right roger that because shut shut up and sit in the corner i'm not going to tell you what to do i guess so i look at the map and so when you look in a medvac unit like they have satellite imagery pretty much all the time of like what's going on um and it's not like always completely up to date, but you can look at the site like that you're going to and like your commander's job or like the uh, the nine line director is supposed to decide what's going to happen. Like where like where are you going to land? Where's your LZ? Where's your pickup? Like, do you have to, you know, go through other stuff? Do you have to meet up with a pickup? What has to happen? Like, they do all this stuff. Um, so I look at it, and I'm like, well, that's in the middle of the city, so we're not landing, first of all. And this will be a great time for him to come with us. So we go. <laughs> we go. And what they do is they've learned from hard experience, you cannot land on top of buildings in Kandahar because they will no. collapse. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they build a, those buildings will withstand anything you can you can fucking throw at them. Like you could pound the side with RPGs, yep. 50 cal, but you know you land a chopper on it and they'll just fucking collapse. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the roof the roof will literally depart from the walls and go straight down. Yeah. And the walls will still be standing. Um, so those walls will stand through anything. Yeah. But when the you, roofs are terrible. When you have to get out on a medvac in the middle of Kandahar, the streets are ten and a half feet wide in most places. Kandahar is not designed for optimal flow of traffic. It's well it's, it's a city that's how many thousands of years old and yeah, it's it's very cars. narrow and it's usually got two cars parked on each side and a like literally you're smacking mirrors driving down the road in one car so you can't land a chopper in there so a lot of times the solution is you'll go down like put the skis about three feet from the roof and jump out well now you're talking about about a seven foot jump you're jumping out pretty far you have to know how to land and roll well (laughs) this little fella had never had that at training (laughs) And so um, my team jumps out, and he's like, well, where are we landing? Well, we're not, sir. We have to jump out. And he's like, 
no, no, we're not jumping out of here. And I'm like, you can step down on the ski and jump, and it's not that far. Like, if you want to do that, do that. So he jumps out, immediately breaks his ankle on the roof of this building. <laughs> it was so broken that I'm looking out the chopper. I'm like, that's broke. <laughs> and I jump out. So then he's like, you got to get me back in there. I got to go back. And I'm like, we have a nine line. Like, there is no, no. There's no not, back. There's no back. <laughs> we're going to an LZ. Like, we're going to a pickup point. There's... We're not jumping back up into there. <laughs> we are going down, taking a person and dragging them through the city, hopefully without fighting our way through, and we're going to meet up with the chopper somewhere else. And he's like, well, my ankle's broken. I can't move anywhere. And I'm like, well, you have a drag handle. So I grabbed him and drug him down the fucking stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and I drug him through the city. <laughs> And uh, part of me wanted to be like, figure it out and leave, but then I know I'd get in trouble. <laughs> officers, so, officers are a piece of work. They really are. Yeah. And so, like, we get to this LZ, and he is so mad. <laughs> and he is pitched up beyond, beyond, like, any compare. And so then three days later, he was gone. But naturally, I mean, and he, he got his purple heart and everything. And oh, of, of course, of course, <laughs> so, that's the leave of the purple heart, yeah. probably a brown star, too. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, valiantry. I mean, he was, I mean, he it's was a valiant rooftop. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> had, um, we had the, the, the CO and, or commanding officer and first sergeant that came in after the law incident, which we talked about last time with the uh. Light anti-armor weapon going off inside of the building. Um, naturally, the leadership all got fired for that. Um, so they bring in, they bring in two new guys. I'm like, okay, good. Like uh, the last two weren't great. Um, hopefully, this will be better. And you got to hope for it. Yeah. Keep in mind, this is a light. This is a light infantry unit. By light, light is a kind of a. Um, Kind of a funny term because it just means you're carrying your shit everywhere. Yeah, which is not light. <laughs> it just means that you don't have vehicles. It, ju a lot. it just means <laughs> you you might have like Humvees, one in our case, Max Pros, which are like Humvees that have been lifted. Essentially, yeah. is a good way to think about it. But we don't have we don't have tanks. We right. don't have we don't have Bradleys. Did um, you? And they send us they send us a CO who is a tanker, <laughs> and a first sergeant who is a mortar who has not been deployed since Bosnia. <laughs> this dude looked like Elmer Fudd. His only his only time leaving the wire was to go like immediately out the entry control point to talk to some locals and back inside, and he got a fucking bronze star for that for that deployment. But so that was, one day, that was brave. so that one was day, our our tanker CO who who is a piece of shit um, and has been sending us. I, I I don't know if we talked about that last time. Where he kept the sending us patrols. on our our, yeah. our quick reaction for us every time they would take a pop shot like one bullet at the cop he'd be like oh we gotta go see where that came from like I could sit here and tell you where that and, fucking came yeah. from they're not there anymore man and he'd send us out there and then the one time he finally realized he was fucking up was when we got the uh, cut over like intercepted their communications but like hey we got the dish you're ready to go as soon as they come over the ridge and he's like I fucked up and like it took him a couple months. After we you know, we were all exhausted, and after we almost had a mutiny, <laughs> anyway, he decides he's going to come with our team, <laughs> right? And our team was always point. My team leader was he was a great point man, always point. I was the saw gunner, so I'm always second. So how I learned to walk point, um, got a lot of experience from him. 
and we moved we moved fucking fast because if we if we didn't move fast we get ambushed like our area wasn't we didn't have a lot of IEDs because we it was so open we had a lot of places we could go but there were so many like rolling hills and places they could you know climb up the back of we call them IV lines that they could shoot down at us without without us seeing them that if we didn't move fast we get fucking ambushed so we're used to walking fast like I'm carrying 110 pounds of gear I've got a mod it's Mark 48 is essentially a modified saw to shoot 308, which weighs twice as much <laughs> as uh, as 223, well 556 in the military does. So I've got yeah. I've got a 55 pound bag on, 20 pound machine gun, 25 plus pounds of body armor. I'm, I'm carrying 110 pounds, and I'm I'm used to moving fast. Our CO decides he's going to go with us, right? <laughs> and my team leader, who's who's bipolar as fuck, he's a great dude, but he he was prone to horrific mood swings. Was <laughs> like. You mind if we move a little fast today? And I was like, I don't give a shit. Let's go. So fast compared we're, to already. Yeah, compa- like fast compared yeah. to how we we're already moving under under 15 minutes per mile. Yeah. with with the weight that we're carrying, and he and we're at about 80 8200 feet altitude. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we're so you're, we're we're we're, we're, we're we're trekking. And he's he's like, yeah, hey, mind if we move fast? And the the other guy, on my team, was just fucking was just fucking ripped. Um, so he, you know, neither of us gave a shit. We're like, yeah, go for it. So we had to stop multiple times because the uh, the radio the radio <laughs> transmitter guy, the RTO for the CO, is like, hey, he's he's really a he needs a break. We're gonna stop. I'm like, whatever. So we finally get to where we uh, we need to be about two hours later, just as the sun's coming up. Um, we we had to move at night, otherwise, you know, we get fucking ambushed as usual. And we're on the roof of this building, and the <laughs> the CO's sitting there, and his RTO, who's just He's just a little cocksucker. He's he spent all of his time fucking, you know, kissing kissing ass. That's the only reason he ever got promoted. And he's like, "Oh, sir, are you all right? Are you all right?" All of a sudden, the CEO turns around next to me and our uh, our essentially our sniper, like right next to us, and he goes, Bleh! and he throws up all over the roof of this building. And we're both sitting there like supposed to pretend that we didn't see this, but we're like, "Yeah, you're a bitch." <laughs> I fucking saw that. It was, it was great. He never went on patrol with us again. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I had a CO who came on patrol one time. And uh, we were we were in some, like, woods. And over there, like, you know, it's just, like, sumac and, like, yeah. really thin trees. And we're in some woods and some rounds start coming in. And it's, it's small arms. It's, like, maybe two or three of them. So we all kind of j- drop down and we're like, all right, where is this coming from? We're assessing it. And our CO is like down and he's like covering his head <laughs> and we're like, all right, well, and so I get up on my knees because I'm like, that's not that bad. Like there's three and they're probably shooting like this. So right. it's cool. And so I'm like, hey, uh, what are we supposed to do right now? Because you're you've decided to take charge. So what do you <laughs> what do you want to do? And he's like, oh. Let's just wait till they stop shooting. And I was like, <laughs> at least, at least, what? at least he didn't say assault through the objective. That's my favorite. I'm like, no, <laughs> he, just, he just goes. Let's just wait till they stop shooting. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think they're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> they're you they're here to, to kill us. You have to. You have to. Um, quickly uh, take the initiative, gain fire right. superiority, or they'll keep shooting at you. Right. Like my my general mo. Was like, and I, 
I had 600, 650 rounds of 308, which weighs about 55 pounds. I wanted to shoot this shit so I didn't have to fucking carry it anymore. <laughs> so the second they would shoot at me, I would immediately burn through my starter belt to 50 rounds. And you think if you're a guy and you're like, oh, these motherfuckers, and you pop one shot and you get 50 rounds back at your face, are you going to shoot anymore? You're, you're going to Probably be. not. I, I wouldn't do it. I'd be like, all no. right, that's, well, no, let's anyway, call it They have it. more bullets. Like, and, I don't it's, know. It's, no, so, but, well, they, they, and, they actually, because um, we could listen to the Taliban communications and they nicknamed our group because they I mean they're, they're not stupid and they know you know the differences between platoons yeah. and they nicknamed our platoon the bullet platoon and I take <laughs> I take a, a fair amount of the responsibility for that. <laughs> and that's how that photo came because you had a uh, was it a photographer that was with your we had a you? we had a journalist from Reuters who was with us who I should have talked to more they were like don't talk to this guy and I'm like I should have told him told him exactly what happened with Turner but you know I was still a private and I'm like like, I don't want to get in trouble. And right. Now I'd be like, fuck you guys, and but I'd do it anyway. Those of you uh, following uh, <laughs> my uh, my Rules of the Arena Instagram and Facebook, that's a picture of Steve returning fire. Um, but Steve, I can't do the story justice if you want to tell the background of <laughs> so that. So we're, we're coming out of like, it was like the high, probably the highest point in our, in our area of operations, our AO. And we're walking along this ridge, which was a terrible idea to begin with, but you know, there we are, and we get shot at, and everyone drops down, and we don't we don't have a clear like line down into where they're shooting at from. So I told my team leader, who some background on more, he was from East St. Louis. Um, I won't tell the story of uh, how he joined the army because it might it might uh, involve attempted murder. Um, <laughs> he was he was hardcore, and I was like. I'm going to bound up there. And he's like, cool, I'll go with you. So the two of us get up, we fucking bound, bound forward. The rest of the platoon's like, all right, we're going with them. And like up there and like I'm looking down, I still don't have a clear shot. So I'm like, you know what? I haven't shoulder fired this, this fucking machine gun yet. Let's do it. So I just stood up again. I'm like, I don't know how I didn't get shot. Um, just stood up and started shoulder firing this bitch. Um, and somehow that motivated the rest of the platoon to be equally stupid and stand up and start <laughs> shoulder firing, standing up, silhouetted against this fucking ridge. Just like, it was ramboing not, the shit. It was out of not it. a good idea. Like I kind of, I especially our last couple months, I kind of had a, a bit of a death wish. I don't know why anyone followed my lead on anything because like well, I, I don't know how I didn't die. That's actually that's actually an interesting thing because that happens where. Yeah. Um, I, I had the same thing. Um, you, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but you wanted to talk about like coming home. That was the most difficult part. Was the fact that coming home, you are so used to all this adrenaline, and right. when you're deployed, like the first time you get shot at, you almost poop your pants. It's fucking it's pants terrifying. I like the first time I got shot at, I half dove, half fell into a wadi, which oh, is yeah. like. Like an irrigation ditch, uh, mm -hmm. I, I was fucking terrified. I unloaded half of my machine gun out of sheer terror. Like my my team leader was like, "Yeah, good shit," and I'm like, I didn't have the heart to tell him that. I was just shooting back because I was terrified. That's, well, that's the but, exact exact thing that I did. I am I I carried a, a 12 gauge as yeah. my primary weapon because I was doing a lot of breaching. Well, you're in Kandahar. You're in right. more of a we were in more of a rural area. Right. So. Yeah. So I did a lot yeah. of breaching. And uh, I fun fact, I still have. The shotgun that I carried over there. I tried to seal the forty-eight that I had, but that's that's slightly harder. Well, I I, I stole it with permission. Um, uh, 
So I got permission to basically steal it. I still have it. And her name is Master Key. I didn't want mine that bad anyway, because the 48 Mod Zero is a piece of shit yeah, anyway. Yeah. Mine didn't even have a heat shield no, on it. Mine's, so, mine's if you, just a... so I'd occasionally burn my arm like while carrying it after shooting, because <laughs> yeah. there was no upper heat shield to it. And, you know, it gets hot as shit to where it's fucking glowing. Um, barrel life of 10,000 rounds, which is nothing. That's like, you know, mm-hmm. a week. That's really <laughs> shitty. Wow. It's, no, a, mine, it's yeah, a shitty it's, weapon. It's pretty bad. I have some, 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 some great stories about the mine was Zero, Mine but, was just yeah. a Remington 870 with Magpul furniture yeah. on it. Um, still love that gun. Still shoot it. It's still fun. Um, but, yeah, her name's Master Key because she can get me in anywhere. And, uh... So, I carried that, but my first first time I got shot at, I pulled... I didn't even use my primary weapon. I, for some reason, just pulled my nine, and I was just, like, shooting. <laughs> and I was, like, down in, like, kind of a dip in the road, and I had it over my head, and I was just, like, rattling off rounds <laughs> until it was empty. And then, <laughs> oh, I shot a donkey. We, we talked about that last time. Yeah. Like, shooting into the trees, and my, my team winner's, like... Well, my piece of shit religious lieutenant's like, cease fire. And my team leader's like, no, I can see the motherfucker in those trees. We were shooting at him. And he's like, tells our um, our EBR, it's, it's enhanced battle rifle. It's just an yeah. M14 with a scope on it. It's not really a sniper, but kind of like the, the squad sniper. Can, and he's like, yeah. get eyes on that. As soon as you see the guy, let me know. And he's like, sorry, that's... It's not a guy. That's a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like he's in a lot of pain. I'm like, well, I shot like 100 rounds in there. Or two or three gunner put like... Like two or three two o threes in there, so I don't know how it's still fucking alive. But yeah, I bet he's in a lot of pain if he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the story that got me banned we, we, off we, YouTube. We, probably With a donkey. <laughs> we, 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 don't don't but, put this on YouTube. So, banned again. No, so that was but that was like the first time I. It, it's funny to look at like your first time versus like later on in your career. Where oh yeah, it's your first time. You're like you jump down in a ditch and you just shoot over your and head. And you're just fucking shooting with an, M, then, with an M9. With like a month ago, um, we got shot at, and it was like they were coming from like the low ground. And it was like over the. It's hard to describe, but we were on like the high ground, and I was back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no way in hell that they could have actually hit me, and I just took a knee. And it's going, it's hitting like five feet over my head, and my one of my teammates was like, "Get the fuck over here!" And I'm like, "No, dude, they can't hit me from here." And it's it's literally like, like up to the ceiling, hitting well, there. And I'm like, "No, that's as that's as far down as they can go. I'm safe here." And like, one of, <laughs> it's amazing how jaded you get. One of, yeah, it is on. because one of the funny parts was, um, like, one of my point that I can remember about that is, I started getting small arms fire when I was I was literally just standing in the middle of Kandahar having a smoke and it you know I'm smoking uh lucky strikes with my buddy um my best friend Olander in the army him and I are chilling and we're talking like we had just completed something we sent someone off um and so we are hanging out we have to get back to the fob and so we're just chilling having a smoke and then small arms fire starts coming by and I hear one like a right by my ear probably like three inches away like it was really close and i just kind of stepped behind a wall and then just kept smoking my cigarette yep. and we had this new guy with us who was like oh my god they're shooting at us and i was like yeah they shoot us all the time and it was at that moment i was like 
This is a little fucked up. That, uh, <laughs> that, moment, that moment for me was uh, when 173rd came to replace us, and like their their NCOs were a bunch of cockbags because they were like, yeah, uh, our, unit, yeah. our unit's been here a million yeah. times. I've personally been here four times. I'm the biggest badass. But all their like junior enlisted were were scared shitless. Oh yeah, they'd heard they'd heard the stories like Kerwar. Her was fucking rough. Like no vehicles in or out because the the only pass into the mountains is lined with IEDs. They don't send birds in except at night because they will get shot at with RPGs. So they're like fucking terrified. And we're I'm like I'm showing one of the ropes on one of the guard shifts at the entry control point, and he's in the turret for the vehicle that was set up there, and he's like down like below the shield, and I'm sitting outside the turret, just kind of chilling, smoking a cigarette, and he's like. Man, aren't you aren't you worried that they're gonna shoot you? And I'm like, no, nah, man, their first shot's gonna miss anyway, and then I'll just roll off the vehicle. And then it just yeah. dawned on me, like, what the fuck is wrong? And <laughs> that, but that's really what rolls into like the coming home issue. For for me, coming home was not like it wasn't an issue where it was like I was so wired and jumpy from being deployed. It was actually I was a little the jumpy. opposite. I heard a uh, it was actually an R and R because our our uh, our sergeant major was an idiot, and this was when they cut Afghanistan deployments down to nine mm-hmm. months, so you wouldn't get R and R. But yeah. he was stupid, so he had it set to like two hundred and seventy five days instead of under two two seventy. So we still got R and R anyway, which is right. two weeks off. That's when I get you drunk on absinthe. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Anyway, I'm like up. um, I'm up visiting my in-laws, and uh, I'm sitting in the car while my wife and my mother-in-law are in the post office, and a car backfires right behind me as they're like walking to the car, and I fucking dove down because it sounded exactly like a fucking AK. Oh, they they started laughing at me, and I got I got so fucking mad. That was like, (laughs) but other than that, like I don't remember really being jumpy at all. I I wasn't really jumpy. The the actual issue, like a lot of people talk about how jumpy you are. It was just so mon- it was so monotonous to me. Like, that was going, that going was back the to thing. Garrison life, and I, so, I was so used to like this high yeah like this high level of operation, and all of a sudden we're back to hey we're just gonna sit here today and like, what uh, a lot we'll of clean a little bit <coughs> if there's something to do. I think that's a very um, understated problem with coming back. Um, one we of had my, a lot of guys who couldn't handle it. The, well, I the, the guy couldn't. was the guy I was talking about who uh, mouthed off to the warrant officer ended up getting kicked out because he he could not adjust to going so back to garrison life. He, one he of, just couldn't take it. Yeah, one so. of one of the guys I was deployed with ended up getting arrested because he got drunk and broke into a construction site and climbed the crane just so he could walk on top of it <laughs> to feel like that, that adrenaline. doesn't surprise me. It's, like, it's not surprising I, at all. And I that's used to be um, before crazy. before I joined the army, like through high school, college. Like I, I used to love going on roller coasters. Like I don't know if you remember Chance. Yeah. But we used to go on roller coasters all the time together. That was like our thing. And then I and then I went to Afghanistan, came back. I can't do it anymore because I, I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. And it's, I, not, like, it's not an adrenaline. What about it's not adrenaline? Course. It's just like I'm just sitting there and I'm like, woo! Oh, we're going in a circle now. <laughs> it's yeah. because you get such such a rush out of getting shot at. It's why so many people smoke after combat. It's not that like you're, um, it's not that like you're scared. You're just like, Dude. at least for me, like I would just start shaking violently because I had so much adrenaline in my system. And like, I would just, I would be sitting there shaking because I had so much adrenaline in my veins and I'd be like, give me a fucking cigarette. <laughs> well, and that's what you do. Like you yeah. shake a cigarette into your mouth every yeah. time yeah. like you're done with it. And, it, and it's not, it's not, it's not a scared thing. It's just like, you've got no. so much like pump, Coursing you're, through your veins, and you're like you you don't have your any body outlet is, for it. Yeah, your body is responding to that. Yeah, 
And it's not yeah. like it's not fear at all. That's the biggest thing that I think is misinterpreted in what people understand about people coming back from the military is they think it's all like fear and like PTSD and all that stuff. That's really not the biggest issue. No. That happens with some people, but the biggest issue is really people actually veterans get in trouble so much with crotch rockets and getting into cars and going 130 miles an hour because that's the only thing that makes them feel anything. They're right. chasing that. The, yeah, they chase that, that adrenaline. Same, the same guy. I hate, I hate to go back to Cody, but same guy who got kicked out. Um, well, he was in the process of getting kicked out. He totaled his Mustang, street racing, yep. didn't tell anyone. We didn't find out about this until two weeks later. He T-boned a car. Um, in a residential area on his on his crotch rocket going like a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Like went over the top of the car, hit, landed on his arm, shattered his fucking arm. The only reason he didn't die is because he did it like two blocks from a hospital. And they got him in there. He's in the ICU. Me and his like he's he was unconscious for a good week before he woke up. And this was right before I PCS to Colorado um, from from Fort Bliss. And like me and the me and you know our team leader are standing over him while he's unconscious and like, man, if he dies that's half our fucking team. Like, cause mm-hmm. Turner already got killed, you know, by the rocket launcher. Like, if he'd, and you know, being grunt humor, he looks at me and he's like, "Well, you're next, motherfucker." But <laughs> that is, <laughs> that that is true. Like he, he, like he, he just he was so like desperate to feel something. Yep. And he, yeah, you know, he ended up t-boning a car going three times the speed limit through a residential area. So how, how do you deal with something like that? Like coming back from that? It's like, fucking hard. It's, it's very um, difficult. I, I, yeah. I was fortunate um, that I was, I was married at the time. I had, I had my, my wife to kind of um, lean on. Um, if she hadn't been there, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now, to be perfectly honest. Um, I almost, uh, <laughs> I remember we had like this, there was this party that most of my platoon was at that I didn't go to, thank God, because um, I'm, I'm sitting there in my apartment. I was playing some video game, and uh, my buddy texts me, and he's like, hey, man, um, Perez is here. Perez is the motherfucker that shot the rocket launcher. And, like, I'm drunk as shit. I go into, the, I go into my room, grab my, grab my 38 special with hollow points in it. Uh, my wife was quick enough to grab the keys from me. So I'm like chasing her around the apartment with a loaded 38 trying to get my Jesus. keys from her. Yeah. And uh, it's a good thing, like, I I didn't get those keys from her because who knows what would have fucking happened. I mean, we had a team leader there who almost shot the guy, like, saw him walk in, almost fucking shot him. But it was uh, it was a rough few months. We had a lot of, I'm, I'm really surprised that it didn't go worse for some of the guys in my platoon. Um, it was just it was a really hard adjustment for most of us. So was back. was there um, like was there an exit? Like, does the army have an exit strategy for you guys? Like when you it, come back, they, is there anything? They, they really, I mean, they they try, but they're okay. just it's not good. It's not good. It doesn't work, um, especially with especially with combat veterans. With yeah. you know those of those of us who've like. Because there, there are some who go, um, there's most actually, who just sit on the FOB and they're, they're doing their same job they do back here, just in Afghanistan. Occasionally they'll hear like a distant thud and be like, oh, we got to go to the bunkers now. And mm-hmm. it's, it's stressful, but it's not, it's not to the same level that those of us who are in like a combat-oriented job experience. And they just, they, they, they really don't know how to handle that. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't think we discussed it last time, but... 
when I switched over to reserves, I had one one guy in my unit who was a Cav Scout, um, and him and I him and I got along pretty well. We had a lot of the same type of humor, <laughs> um, and when we were last August, when we were um, doing our annual training, we worked pretty closely because they were like, "Oh, hey, you two, you're." Uh, like you're the only two with combat experience. You run all these convoys. First, uh, like the first one leaves in an hour and a half, and we're like, "Oh, motherfucker!" <laughs> so we we worked we worked together a lot. Um, I spent a lot of time with him. We um, we talked a lot about our experiences. He was in Iraq. He actually experienced a uh, an like an overrun where they like actually get onto the fob, and he like he wants he went through some shit, and I like I caught a couple glimpses of it. But I didn't, I guess I didn't really fully grasp, like, the gravity of what he was going through. Um, and then about a month and a half after we got back, he committed suicide. Um, that's the one that um, I know we've, I've sent that's you the, post you were, the, the yeah. uh, link, the fundraising I've been doing, because it kind of, that, that really drove it home for yeah. me, like, how... How fucking hard it is, and he'd been back. And for that's years. something I want to touch on. He'd been back for years. Episode. He was he was he was married. Um, he had a lot going for him. It's just like, and he just did not know how to ask for help. And that's just so many people just don't, just really don't know how to ask for help. And there's so much stigma attached to it. Like I have, I um, am like 99% sure that I have severe PTSD, but I don't I don't have it diagnosed because there's so much stigma attached to it. Um, it's like, and there's, and a lot of that's the media too. Like, you watch a TV show, and oh, here's the PTSD crazed veteran shooting up, you know, an abortion clinic. That actually happened when I was in Colorado, the, um, but you know, um, that's yeah. that's not the norm. But that's like the media plants that as like that's that's what PTSD is, and it really it really just manifests itself the same way that depression does. And the, um, the, the first time I really saw it, and I I hate to use a movie as a reference, but that's. Um, uh, the uh, Bradley Cooper played yeah. Chris, he portrayed Chris Kyle, and you know when he With that terrible fake baby. <laughs> 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 but he he finally got that sniper that's been an issue for you know however many deployments he's on, right. and he rolled over and he called his wife and goes, "I want to come home," and that's that. I mean, that's like holy, you know, the the snapping point and. Then, then you see on the backside of that movie, and if you read the book, um, American Sniper. I would yeah. say. that was uh, also the name of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, it was yeah. the same. I, yeah. yeah, I'm. I haven't seen it or read the book. Yeah, so. I'm terrible with names. Uh, but the guy that shot Chris and himself subsequently, you know, that, that's the you know, like you said, you know, that the stigma that comes behind it. This is a guy that need help well well Well, that was that was like like jeff just did not know how to ask for help and like like i said i caught glimpses of it but i guess i just didn't really fully grasp like how hard it was for him and like how much he was struggling with it until you know like a month and a half later he ended up taking his own life yeah and it was like and 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 then retrospect everyone's like oh man we should have seen this but like there really there really wasn't that much like we spent a lot of time together um, last August, and there was like two times that I really that he really like opened up to me about like some of the stuff he was struggling with because people like people like to talk like oh it's like I don't know anytime you hear someone talking about like how many people they've killed and what big of a badass they are they haven't killed anyone 
because mm-hmm. that that shit fucks with you. Um, no, you you don't. Like, it really it you, really fucks. You with don't you. brag about like no. if you've actually done it, you don't brag about it. Like I I, I only I only have one that I like know, um, and that really uh, that really fucked with me for quite a long time. Well, yeah, and and, and like and I have like that's that that's just a hard thing to deal with. So like coming well, coming my, to terms with that. I have like. A number of them, but it's it's not like well, we, I'm proud we, we, of we doing were, that. Or, we were we were you know being in the mountains. You're just yeah. shooting at the fucking mountains. Yeah. So we only had like right. I, I really only had one that like we had eyes on. We knew that it had happened, and that like that really really fucked with me. Like it's, I knew that at that point, like there, it's there a were weird probably feeling. there were probably others because you know I yeah. I shot well, a lot of rounds. Yeah. I was. All, all hubris aside, I was pretty good with a machine gun, mm-hmm. but that was the first time that I like I knew for sure, and yeah, that, you know, that was a it, really it's a weird, shitty feeling. It's a weird feeling because you know that you have taken another person's life. Now, there's a lot of like, uh, what what from my perspective, um, I like I totally understand the veteran suicide thing because my best friend in the army, Olander. Um, ended up killing himself three years after we got out um, because he was gay and he got married while we were in the army. Um, ended up killing himself probably a combination of PTSD yeah. and being gay and not being able to admit that. Yeah. Um, he never admitted to me that he was gay because he thought that I wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Um, but I knew it long before he killed himself, and that was like one of his suicide note things was that he was gay and that he didn't feel like he could tell anyone about that. But the big thing that I think that I encountered was um, all of the out-processing, all of the like exit therapy for the military and like ending deployment debriefing and all that stuff all of it is oriented toward like the traditional idea of ptsd where like you're depressed and sad about seeing things and i think a lot of it doesn't focus on the real like at least for me what was real was being deployed and being addicted to that adrenaline and being actually addicted to war there's there's a great there's a great ted talk um, by Sebastian Junger, who was the journalist who filmed the documentary Restrepo mm-hmm. and wrote the book along with it. He does a, a fantastic TED talk about why veterans miss war, and he really hits the nail on the head. Is that it's the two things that like like nobody misses getting shot at, nobody misses shooting at other people unless you're a fucking psychopath. Like mm-hmm. what people miss is that that adrenaline and that sense of brotherhood because you right. cannot fucking get that anywhere other than the military. Well, like, and that's I that's, have like. Like, like you and I have been friends for two decades, but we, we don't have the same like relationship that I had with, with this, like people that I, and same thing with yeah. my wife. Like we don't have the same relationship that I had with people who, um, you know, we, we almost got fucking killed together. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's, and that's part of the issue is like dealing in that, like PTSD has such a, there's such a ideal of what it is. And really like. I didn't have any traditional PTSD. I didn't come home. I didn't have depression from, you know, being sad about 
firing weapons at people. I didn't have any of that, like, traditional PTSD symptom. But I had other PTSD symptoms. I had, like, the whole, like, withdrawal from war, basically. Like, it's very... I had that. It's very strange. Like, it's... And it's it's hard because none of that is mapped. There's no, no. like... There's no directions for how to deal with that. They don't, like... They don't. They never talk about that. No, it's not um, talked about. It's it's all about the depression of being deployed. And, and I've like, had I've had certain things that haven't um, that haven't even manifested until recently, like recently. And I think the la- the last like notable time was Thanksgiving. I found myself like in certain like very active um, public areas, primarily grocery stores. Like all of a sudden, I'll just get like this impulse, like I got to get the fuck out of here. Oh yeah, like, no, I I have and that. And it's like, the, like and it, a lot, and it yeah. comes on in like no time flat. Like the last time it happened, I was like I was sitting there with with my oldest daughter, and like I was just talking to her, joking. And all of a sudden, I looked up and I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of the store right now. And like we're sitting in line, and I'm like I'm sweating fucking bullets. I've taken my coat off. My wife says something to me. I turned around and like snapped at her like what? And like ever like there were several people that turned and looked at us. And, like I looked like a huge asshole, and thankfully mm-hmm. she was incredibly understanding. But I'm like. I don't even know where that came from. And um, the company that I've been fundraising with, um, the guy who started it actually does a really good talk about that, about where that comes from. Um, And it's like the analogy he uses is there's like there's like two cavemen walking along and they come to this bridge. Right. And as they're crossing the bridge, they get ambushed by this saber toothed tiger and one of them gets eaten. The other one gets away. Right. And like years go on. He's completely forgotten about this event. But, like, he comes to a bridge, and he gets this, like, heavy fucking anxiety about crossing this bridge, and he doesn't know why he's getting it, and it's because of this this event that happened right. years ago, and that's, like, that's what ends up happening to a lot of veterans is they get in these situations, they get super fucking anxious, and they don't know why, and, like, I've, you know, and I'm able to take a step back and be, like, this is not a rational decision, even as it's, like, fucking ravaging me, mm-hmm. but and- a lot of a lot of people don't, like... Like that just that just ends up overwhelming them. That was the, the oh. first time I saw, I guess, symptoms of PTSD, if you will, you know, air quotes. Uh, our buddy John, when he came home, oh yeah, and uh, we went out to grab some chips or dip, you know, whatever the case may be, at the local grocery store, and he turned to me and goes, "I need to leave now." And that's he, that's what it yeah, is. He was it's gone. not. And it's not even like that's the first time not, it really clicked in my mind. It's not a gradual thing. It's just all of a sudden you, you just get this it's, impulse, and you're yeah, like, very "I need sudden. to get the fuck out of here." And I, for me, for me, I've like I've come to recognize like it's primarily it's primarily grocery stores, and I think it's a lot of stores because like you like can't leave when you want to because you have all the shit that you have to get in line and buy, so you don't have the option of just leaving. And I think that's what does it for me. Um, and my wife's been very understanding with that. So like, if I need to just get the fuck out and go to the car, she's she's cool with that. But I'm I've, I've gotten better about not like putting myself in those situations. But it's just it's fucking hard because well, you, you don't know you don't know what's gonna set it off a lot of times. It's you know? interesting. I I had a a similar situation where the my realization of how like years later stuff can suddenly become apparent was my current girlfriend and I, Lindsay, went to the Minnesota State Fair and we went to a Stevie Nicks concert there. 
Her, that's her favorite I'm musician. Sorry. Well, <laughs> well yeah. what's wrong with what's wrong with Stevie Nicks? It's, it's whatever. What's good about Stevie Nicks? Like she's she's fine, if, dude. If I could see one band live in their in their heyday, well, okay, it would be Queen. But the well, second be Rush, band, the so. second band would be Fleetwood Mac. My mine mine would be Leonard Skinner with Ronnie, but. Um, all right, but tan- either tangent aside, either way. Um, <laughs> so we we go because it's, it's her favorite musician, and I'm Stevie Nicks. Okay, whatever. Like, it's not a bad show, so I'll go see it. So everything was cool. Toward the end, I was starting to get like a little nervous with all the people that were there. Um, but then, actually, what really, really brought my girlfriend into focus on like, this is probably just going to be with me forever was after the show, she goes to the bathroom, I'm standing outside, and they start doing fireworks. I can't handle fireworks. Um, so feeling close to fireworks and feeling that, like, percussive force on your chest, like that that force that you've all felt, like you when you're close to a firework and you can feel, like, that boom, like, see, in your chest. See, it's interesting um, for me because that's that's not the part that gets me. It's the fluttering. Like, when you hear a firework get launched and you can hear, like, it fluttering through mm-hmm. the air before it goes off, it sounds exactly like an RPG. And that just, that causes me, like, substantial anxiety. Right. If I can actually see them and I know that they're happening, it doesn't bother me. But if I get surprised fireworked and I hear that fluttering, because yeah. I had, I, um, I had a... Uh, time when I was in the guard tower that I was half asleep because it was like four in the morning and you know I'm, I'm guilty of like sitting there and like having my eyes half closed and nodding off and all of a sudden one of them I just hear it go over the fucking guard tower that was in like probably two feet over the guard tower blow up in the field next to me and I'm sitting there like I'm awake you've got <laughs> yeah. my fucking attention yeah no <laughs> and so like that 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 sound that sound gets to me so it was, I understand that for me it was the the boom in the fireworks and it was like I'm the same way. If I know fireworks are gonna happen, Fourth of July rolls around every year. I'm cool. Like it's fine. Yeah. But I didn't know they were doing fireworks after this show. I mean, it's the middle of August. It's the state fair. I didn't know that this was happening. And then it didn't hit me because probably there's a lot of loud talking. But then I feel it was really the feeling of it. It yeah. wasn't the sound. It was the feeling of that percussive force in my chest where I was like, no, I have to leave this now. Like, it hit me all up in the feels yeah. where, like, I've, I, I've been here before. I had a, I had a neighbor. And so my first reaction, I literally was, like, reaching <laughs> for my yeah. sidearm. And I was like, and then I got really panicked because, like, I didn't have anything didn't have to defend anything. myself. That's a right, that's... point uh, I believe is Josh uh, last episode brought up. Um, you know, getting into the car and where's my weapon? Yep. Where is it yeah. on me? I mean, yeah. did you guys? I mean, aside from we, that moment, Rick, that that really was never an issue for me because I, um, like I said, I was light infantry. We didn't have a lot of vehicles, and the area we were in was so like. The terrain was so treacherous that the few times we took vehicles, they'd we'd flip like three of them, <laughs> um, and I just had like heavy anxiety about being in vehicles in general because when we had like two weeks of limbo after our our security station got shut down before they shipped us to our new cop, and we were we were just sitting on the fob for like two weeks, and they're like, 
Uh, we'll just send you guys out on route clearance patrols. Well, two of the patrols we were on, we got blown up. Um, it was never our vehicle. We were lucky. It was the ve it was the first one was directly behind our vehicle. Our driver had the presence of mind to gun it over this culvert, and it blew up behind us. Um, sh you know, sh was close enough that it showered our vehicle with you know dirt and shrapnel and shit. And then the second one was the vehicle in front of us. We watched get blown up. So I don't like being in vehicles um, because I don't like having the option to you know get out and defend myself and move if i have to like i understand that the vehicle's armored and i'm probably safer but like deep like in the primal part of my brain i don't <laughs> fucking like being there so i don't really have a whole lot of anxiety when it comes to vehicles um, was it hard when you first got back though i mean just you know living here in the twin not, cities not well i was in el paso um, oh, okay. yeah I well that's even that. more vehicle time like <laughs> it, is, it is it's pretty spread out um, it really, it really wasn't the vehicles though. I don't like being around ridge lines. Was probably my biggest thing, just because we got ambushed so many fucking times from, because our our AO was so like hilly, and they would just come up the back mm -hmm. and shoot down at us. That that's like, I, no, like when I'm out I walking that, like, and I have like a ridge line next to me, I'm like, all right, I need to get, I either need to get on top of that or I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I, I get that because my parents' house is actually on top of a ravine. And when yeah. I go to my parents' house, I actually feel very safe because of the same thing. Right. Kandahar is in a bowl. Like, yeah. Kandahar is at the foot of mountains on three sides. And being in Kandahar was the most stressful thing in the world because I there is so much imagine. there is so much like vertical terrain next to you where you're like, I do not want to be here at all. Never mind the whole like city aspect and the fact that buildings numerous buildings are around you um but i i think that's that's a good point like well for me like casey knows i have a weapon in my vehicle at minimum like with me mo like most of the time i don't always carry it on me but even like i i've i'm not as bad now but coming back i always had to have like a pistol on me or something. If you feel almost naked without it. it, it you do, and it, it wasn't like in River Falls, Wisconsin. I don't think I'm going to need the fucking thing. Right, like, it's that's, not. It's not a it's thing. Not where, like, I mean, you get a, you get a unless lot we of, go uh, full children. You, 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 you get a yeah. you get a lot of like middle aged. Uh, you get a lot of like middle aged to older white men. My my dad's guilty of this. Who are like. Like, I'm going to get attacked. I need a gun. Like, I don't feel like that. No, no, no. I just feel fucking naked without it. Because, and and like, that's the thing. Like, you, like you, you, you needed that shit. It's, it's, not, it's not about, like, do you need that? No, probably not. But do, you, do I feel better with it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, it's uh, almost like a safety blanket. So, like, like when I work at, on an ambulance, I still wear, like, my vest underneath my shirt and a lot of people make fun of it and they're like well you don't need that in green bay like it's not a bad city and i'm like that's not why i wear it that's not the it's, point it's it's wearing this makes me feel a little bit more okay yeah like not wearing it it just feels weird um and so when i first came back like having like i never i i never used a pistol in the u.s Hopefully, I never will. I've, but I've never had reason to use a pistol in general. So, but I still, I, I still would, have I one. would like <laughs> it if I never do. Yeah. But there, there are times when like something maybe appears a little shady and a little off, and I put my hand on it, and that's like, okay, cool. I, like I know if something goes weird here, I can, I can like defend myself. 
I've never had to, probably never will, but just having that ability is yeah. comforting. And so, that's really all it is. Like I, I get it. So yeah. something that's kind of come up um, in the past couple of episodes, and especially this one, is the... Like the mental health coming back, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it, that's that's such a huge and, issue. Um, and it's how the there's there's least. there's not enough like well, especially like talking about how there's not really like a really good integration uh, coming back with um, like especially for combat veterans. That's that's like like um, like I, I said, that's the the fun the fundraising that I've been doing, which I got I got really involved in after. Um, after my buddy committed suicide, what, uh, what, what organization September. are you working with? Um, it's called it's called Twenty Third Veteran. They run like a it's kind of yeah. a it's kind of a rehabilitation program, but not more in the traditional sense. Like you like you go, um, you're working out, you're doing like CrossFit with the same group of veterans every week, and then they take they they take like a trip um, at the end of it, which is where a lot of the money that you fundraise ends up going. Um, they end up doing like a, usually like a hiking or mountain climbing trip, and it's just like it's really like a men- like just a mental health like a, a de-stressor and it kind of like builds some of that community because um, that's a lot a lot of the thing a lot of what most veterans are missing is just that that sense of of belonging like that's I have, I have a yeah. lot of I have a lot of uh, issues with the army like we, we could sit here for weeks and I wouldn't get <laughs> my list of issues with the army but one thing that you will not get anywhere else is that um, that, that sense of belonging of, that of sense community. of purpose that yeah sense the brotherhood of, yeah. of it yeah, yeah. Um, um, so like for me like uh, the 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 army does a lot of work to prepare you to go to war and. It almost feels like coming back from war is an afterthought. It's like, we'll address, like, we don't want you to be depressed. We want you to have access to counselors. Like, if you're going to be sad and unhappy. But I, in my experience, like, yeah, that happens and that is a thing. But you're missing a large part of, like, the returning population of veterans who are not depressed, they're not sad, they're not, like, dealing with it in those ways. Um, The, like, returning population, a lot of them, the problem is, it's not depression. The problem isn't depression, the problem is, like, withdrawal. Are you... Really, like... Like, so... uh last episode uh we had a bunch of like old guard i guess is what they called themselves yeah, the, um, yeah i know a lot of them were in well yeah. pre-9-11 um initial invasion i served with a guy uh another squad leader in my platoon who was in the initial <laughs> invasion of iraq so and he yeah are, are you like and so you guys fucked up. like <laughs> did you or like in your experience is there less of a stigma for seeking help with the mental issues or is it still a bit of like a machismo thing where you just suck it down I think and it's gotten it better in? okay um, but it's still got a ways to go and part of it is just understanding the issue um, like we've been talking about it's it's not it's not just like the the depression the you know all the typical things you think of with PTSD it's the withdrawal mm-hmm. that's, um, that's for me thing. for me it was the mentality um, I don't know who here has seen Band of, Band of Brothers 
Yeah. I think everybody I think in the room have, yeah. 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 Which you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of media um, about the military that is that is dead fucking wrong, but. Band of Brothers is pretty accurate. Um, there's a it lot is. of things they get right. Um, and there's, I think it's the second episode. Um, it's Captain Spears is talking to a private who's like having issues, you know, actually firing his weapon. And he tells him, um, he tells him something along the lines of, you have to accept the fact that you're already dead and then you'll be able to function properly as a soldier. And I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's true, you know, for most soldiers, but that was, that was kind of my mentality. Like it was yeah. probably a month in, I was like, well, I'm going to fucking die in this deployment. So I, I might as well make the, you know, the best of it. And then you get back and like, how do you flip that mentality? Like you've, you fully accepted the fact that you're not coming back to the States and then you come back and you're like, okay, now what, now what you've do pretty I do? much Jesus I, back. Like, I think, yeah. I think that's exactly the problem. Yeah. The exact problem is that if you are good at what you do, Overseas, you will not be good at coming home. No, if you're and like, if you're going into each, um, if you're going into each firefight with the mentality of like, fuck this shit, I want to live. You're not going to be good at your job. No. And we and we had people like that. Yeah, um, we had we like my platoon sergeant who was in the fetal position, and I'm sure he's adjusted fantastically to being back. He's I mean, he got promoted. Just fine. <laughs> um, but there were a few of us, like my my buddy Cody, who almost killed himself on his bike, who were really, you know, all. All arrogance aside, we're really fucking good at our jobs, and we had a really hard time coming back. And like, I got lucky having my wife there to support me, um, having a pretty good support network. He d- he didn't really have that, um, and he he suffered for it. So. Well, that's that's um, part of part of the thing. Like I like going through, especially after my MOS change and carrying like a a. 12 gauge my job was break into a building apprehend someone leave whatever happens in between as long as you have the guy that's what you do so every time you go into a dark Kandahar building like you don't expect to live because who knows what's going to happen you shoot the lock out that place and everything after that is a crapshoot like maybe maybe you're dead now Maybe you're dead immediately when you step in the door because they know what you're doing. Right. So they'll often set stuff up. I've been hit with booby traps and stuff like that, where fortunately they're just not very good at it. Um, so it's they, they, it's more they don't have the resources. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean they don't have the resources, but there's they also some pretty, don't have the there's knowledge. There's some pretty wicked things. Yeah. Um, especially what it, what are they called? Is it EF EFPs? It's the one with the two plates that slam together and it yeah. pushes the carbon rod yeah and this thing it's it's a type of id and it's two plates that'll like i said slam together and there's a carbon rod in between them and it'll shoot the carbon rod out um superheated at pretty high speeds and this thing will go through a fucking tank yeah both, both sides of the tank and it, it'll it'll kill anyone in between um Jesus. but but they're super expensive so they're they're not common right <laughs> so a lot of it's you know a lot of the reason that we're i mean i wouldn't call us successful but you know, a lot of the reason that we haven't gotten completely destroyed outright is because they don't have the resources we do. No, like they they don't have they can't do that like yeah, all the time. It's it's not so it's, a lot it's of not cheap. A lot of what I dealt with was like uncontrolled like shotgun uh, blasts and stuff where they'll like right. they'll set something up so you like you shoot through the door, you push the door open, that activates a firing pin that hits a shotgun shell that just kind of shoots. A scattered they don't understand all the time like a lot of them so if you're going some of them do but some of them don't 
they don't understand that a lot of the deadly force for shotgun shells or for like uh like buckshot comes from being propelled through a barrel like that a controlled explosion that right. goes it's, in one direction it's concentrated at it's not just going fucking and, everywhere yeah so they'll yeah. they'll set it up so it activates it but then even if you get hit by those pellets i've been hit by them it hurts but it's so uncontrolled that the kinetic force of those pellets is not big enough to even yeah. penetrate your skin so like stuff like that but i just got lucky in the fact that i never walked into something that wasn't that didn't kill me um that was yeah, it was it was entirely luck that's, because it's like 99% of of combat is is just being lucky well and that's what it is like, and like the, so the, the time that i like you have the picture of of me standing up i had rounds going left right and above me yeah. and i didn't get hit because I was lucky. Like it had nothing to do with skill. If anything, I was being a fucking moron by standing up. Well, I just didn't. I just got lucky. When we got pinned That's down and our CO like laid down and put his hands over his head, like we stood up and we just like grabbed him and pulled him up, and we just started walking toward him and shooting. There's nothing about that <laughs> that was like <laughs> tactical or smart. Wow. But at some point, you just kind of end up being like. Oh, if I die, I die. But yeah, it, and that's that's the shit that's really that's just really so you're. Hard but a lot of times from. your options are die, or lay here and hope that they just leave you alone miraculously, which they won't do. Yeah. So you're kind of just like, well, maybe I'll die, but this is the only way to deal with this situation. So okay, and then you just kind of decide that dying's not that bad. Especially going and across, you uh, accept it, and oh, like, I mean, our our terrain we didn't was very rural, yeah. so it's all open fucking terrain, and you're getting shot at, and you're like, shit, I got to go to this other building that's you know 100 meters away, and there's mm-hmm. there's nothing in between those buildings, like fuck it, let's go, yep, and you just got to book it, and um, you'll you'll encounter that stuff, and then when you come home, that's really what the issue is, is like, none of that's considered, um. When you come home from deployment, it's it's always about, and I'm not saying that that's that shouldn't be focused on like people who have PTSD, who are depressed, who are like trying like want to take their own lives. Absolutely, that's important. But the whole idea of like war addiction gets completely ignored. Like, they just want to make sure that you're not going to kill yourself, and as long as that doesn't happen, you're good to go back to society. It's, it's check the block. It's, and it's really like... It's that's, like, hey, are you going to kill yourself? No? All right, we're good. Get out. Yeah, but Don't then... Don't let the door hit you on the Maybe in the I ass will once... Now, now, then, now I get back into society, I don't have something where I can, like, directly translate my skill. So maybe I work at Menards at a, like, packaging facility or whatever. Yeah. And there is no adrenaline in that. There is nothing in that that allows me to, like, have my experiences transfer. I think that's that's actually part of the reason why I'm, I'm graduating here in May um, with, with, with my degree. And I'm, like, this close to putting in an application uh, for Air Force OTS to go fly planes because, like, that would, be, that would be a fucking adrenaline rush. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 all that's all it is. Are there groups or outlets where I mean, vets they're, such as they're just they're just not they're just not talked about it as much. They're right. they're yeah. not 
They're not advertised as much. They're not readily available. I just had my cousin the other day contact me. He's like, hey, my my boss, who I've worked for the last few years, has been really struggling since he came back from Afghanistan. Like, what resources can you give him? And I'm like, I don't really know, man. There's, like, is that stigma or is that just the, it's, the lack it's of not, it's not, it's, it, Well, the, the Army dumps no resources into it. Because it, yeah. once, once you're out of the Army, you're not their problem anymore. Like, they just want to make sure that you don't kill yourself until you're out. Once right. once you're out, like, then, you know, yeah, it's you're... Not, it's not really an army problem. It's not an army point. problem anymore. So, um, I think... I don't think it's a stigma thing. Well, and if it is, I think it's a stigma in the opposite way people usually think about stigma. So, I think that the fact that when I came home and... To be completely flat honest, the only thing I wanted to do was, like shoot people and like like that's weird to admit it's a stigma in the other direction where like there is nothing being at war with someone there is not a better adrenaline rush so coming back and then admitting to anyone that you're pretty much kind of addicted to murdering people is not an easy thing to tell people like it's not an easy thing to admit because obviously that's not going to be perceived well like it's not it's not going to come across well when i say like i had i felt alive when i was fighting people and killing them or whatever it may be like maybe you're not killing people but you're you're addicted. certainly shooting at them you're, with the intent. You're, right. you're addicted of them. to the violence of the situation because of the adrenaline, but people don't understand that. Like people don't get that you're not addicted to killing people. You're not a serial killer. You're not trying to murder people. But you can't even talk about it with people making that without them link. looking at you like you're right. you're fucking crazy. Like a psychopath. It's, it's not and like like I said it's not um it's not a thing like you're you're like looking to kill people you're looking for people to be trying to kill you because you'd have to be a fucking psychopath to want either of those it's right. that like that insane adrenaline rush that you get from that the thing from like it's it's the adrenaline being and it's in the that fact like that mortal struggle it's the adrenaline and it's the fact that going through from basic training from day one to the end of your military career the thing that you are told most is that you're a killer. You're no. you're here, you're a soldier, you're here to kill, you're here to not care about the enemy, you're here to not they're usually, worry about They're that. usually given a demeaning name so you don't have to think of them as human. Right. Haj is a popular one. Haji. Now. Yeah. Haj, Haji. It's a big one. Yeah. Um it's it's a it's a it's an objective, it's a subject, it's any word besides person, no. like it's you're never going to kill Objective, a person. Enemy combatant. You're gonna kill a target. It's not a human being, right? Yeah. And so they're and the justification is they're gonna kill you or you're gonna kill them. Well, when you boil it down to simple terms like that, I'm gonna kill them. Like right. I'm not gonna be the one that dies. If I can help it, I'm yeah. gonna do it. Part part of what messes with people too is when you realize it's it's not as simple as that, right? <laughs> Especially the fact that, like, I'm in this person's country. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
you know, and you can you can tell yourself, and the army does a great job of like making you think like, hey, you're the good guy, you're going to liberate them. Yep. But think think of like you know, and I'm, I'm it's assuming not so most black of, and white. most it's of the people at this table don't don't like Trump. I'm assuming. Right. I mean, he's pretty much the best yeah. president we've ever had. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if, imagine if the Chinese came in and overthrew Trump, and they're like, "Hey, we're we're helping you as they're going through your towns the and murdering fuck? people." Like, yeah. are you gonna be like, "Thank you for liberating me," or are you gonna be like, "Get the fuck out of my country"? Yeah. Yep. Like, and and they and they, the army does a great job of making you think, like, "Hey, you're the good guy," but yeah. if you spend any time over there and you do any amount of critical thinking, you're like, "What the." F- fuck am i doing here that's absolutely true um and the the really confusing thing is like the 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 troop surges it's like well do we need a surge though (laughs) why do we need a surge i was there during a drawdown where so many people were stuck in kuwait like coming back from r&r because they're like no you can't come back in the country until we reach a certain level then my platoon was down to 14 people, yeah. which a fully staffed infantry platoon is 40. You've right. got four um, four squads of nine, your platoon sergeant, your platoon leader, a medic, and a forward observer. So you got you got 40 people. Um, I think the most we ever have was like 34, which is actually pretty good. You're, you're never going to see a full a fully staffed platoon. No, you won't see a full but we were, platoon. But we were at one point down to 14 fucking people going on patrol in an area with about 600 Taliban fighters. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! Because of the drawdown, we're like, we're, there's like fucking fourteen of us. I mean, there well, was there was two feet of snow on the ground, and the tailman's not stupid like us, so they're like, we're not going out in that shit. Yeah. So, didn't really need to worry. It's about interesting it when you look at the two. Like, I went in 2010 during a drawdown, and then I went back in 2011 during a like a surge. Yeah. So I had such a different experience between the two, but. I guess no staying on topic like if we're going to talk about coming back home that is no it was an hour ago <laughs> no <laughs> it was a couple minutes ago <laughs> um, I didn't want to st- you know I didn't want to stop either <laughs> oh it's fine like no it's fine man if if we're staying on topic like it coming back home the staying on the topic or trying to at least is the the support is there for a little bit of what you experience and it's not it's not really you enter you enter basic training i remember i mean you went through 2011 i went through 2008 i remember screaming kill that was the the tagline of like what you screamed when you attacked our our company motto which is about um the tail end of it was uh Put them, put them in a bag. Let their god do the rest. Yeah, was the end of it. So yes, yeah. it was very, it was very violence well, oriented. And I mean, it's it's very like when it, when you do combatives, you scream kill when you go to attack. Yeah, like that's one of the things that you do. The whole focus of the army is teaching you that killing people is okay, and it's trying to teach you that you should be able to do this and kill for your country. The army's not making serial killers. The army's not out there saying like you should just kill no. a bunch of people. The army's the army is focused. A lot of people get that misconception like oh they're just creating people who murder everyone. That's not really what's happening. It's it's very oriented toward like what your government tells you to do, you do. And 
it just so happens that your job really is going to be killing. Like, because you're a soldier, so you're going to be killing, so you kill in the direction that kill is supposed to happen. And then when you come back, they're just like, alright, so was that rough? And then you're like, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe it was rough. And they're like, alright. time to process it yet. And then they're <laughs> like, alright, so just don't be sad about it. And don't kill yourself. Don't feel and bad. Then go you on have home. Nothing to feel bad about. Right. Don't kill yourself. All right. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You can go home. And it's sort of like the buildup versus the letdown is very. There's a big like dissonance between the two, where like there like, really needs I mean, it's to like, be. It's like on the level of the new Star Wars movie, where there's all this buildup, and then you're just, <laughs> you're just fucking let just down. Worst prom I mean, night it's ever. It's really like. <laughs> If you're going to send people back out in the community, you should... There really needs to be better counseling yeah. and, like... There, there needs to be better resources available after you're out. There so, does. Um, I mean, like you're saying, you didn't have time to process it. I mean... There, there isn't. Like, how, you like, come it back takes, and... It takes a I long... Mean, how fucking, far I, along... I, I don't think I've still fully... You like come back through everything and that two weeks, happened that when, I did. I mean, how far out were you? I mean, you came back, what, three years after... Um, where you, I mean, you were home for three years since your deployment. Yeah, I, and then I, you're came, done. I came back in 2012. Um, I got a fairly good break just because I PCS right as they were deploying. So I didn't have to go on their deployment because I was still within my window. And I fought that shit hard because, you know, I had my wife at home. I wanted to spend some time with her. So I was like, no, I'm still in my, my window. You can't deploy me. So I got a couple years off, and then I went to Kuwait, which really isn't a deployment. It's just an exercise in how bored can you be without, you know, killing yourself. <laughs> um, but, I mean, after you got home, I mean, how long did it take before, like, that for when it, like, hit you, I guess, uh, you know, when before it started to set in or before you started to process it when you came, you know, if you came over the hump, if you will? A long fucking time. Um, I had to get out of El Paso, um, and I had a lot of people who kind of misunderstood why I was leaving. I think I had a squad leader who was like, hey, man, I know this unit's bad, but you're going to find worse in the Army, which I knew, and I went to worse. <laughs> it was, uh, 166 was a shithole. <laughs> I was greeted with, hey, welcome to the black hole of the Army. I wasn't disappointed. Um, <laughs> my, but, my, first, uh, my first station was Big Red One in Riley. <laughs> in Cal- and <laughs> I was like... Well, joining the army was a fucking mistake because it was a bunch See, of that was it was a bunch of frat boys. That that was my uh, experience upon getting to Afghanistan because I I you know I did I did well in the ASVAB. Um, I think I think the max what's the max ninety nine. Well, what's the max GT score? It's like one fifty, I think. GT I think it's one fifty. One fifty. I I got a one forty five. Um, I did really well on that. Yeah, they offered, 141 on they offered me every fucking job under the sun. They offered me cryptologic linguist with an $18,000 bonus, but Gesundheit. you know my 22-year-old idiotic <laughs> ass was like, fuck no, I want to go to war. Yep. And yep. Like, the, second I, the second I got to Afghanistan, first time getting shot at, I'm like looking around, and it's like, it's like that old episode of Chappelle show where I'm like, damn, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I think literally everyone who has gone to combat has had that moment where they're like, <laughs> wait, what the fuck am I doing? 
combat sounded really cool when it was at my house. It sounded really cool when I was playing Call of Duty and when the recruiter was like, you're going to go be a badass. And then I got here and I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> See, the thing is that everyone likes getting the idea of getting shot at until they get shot at. And then they're like, wait a minute. It seems really cool until you have one go like three inches over your head and you're like, yeah. wait, if that's three inches lower... It would go right through my head oh, and fuck. kill me. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, I'm gonna do some math. That's some real life <laughs> math. <laughs> so, uh, just kind of wrap things up here. I mean, for uh, uh, we kind of talked about, you know, you're coming home and you're back. Like Steve, you were home for three years, but you're still part of the army. I mean, what the hell were you doing for that time period? I mean. Going from deployment you, you to this, since, since coming back to to before like you were area. like, yeah, I, I know you spent a little bit of time in Colorado, correct? Yeah, I spent three years in Colorado. I mean, what um, was that like? I mean, you're still part of the army. I, 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 the I general story really, I get is paperwork. I had a really fucking hard time um, going to a new unit. I don't know if that's that's you know um, usual, but I think part of it was um, I got to El Paso like right before they deployed. I got to the, like, I deployed to Afghanistan not knowing any of the fuckers. I had two other people on my team. Um, Turner kind of, like, took me under his wing. He was my best fucking friend. Three months later, he gets, he gets fucking waxed. So, like, I had a really, really hard time going to a new unit and, like, making friends. Yeah. And, like, that, that really, um, I, I don't think I really talked to anyone for, like, four months. And they just like kind of considered me an outsider. And eventually, like I had a couple that I became really good friends with. Eventually, I established myself, um, became a squad leader in that company. But it took me a while. Did any um, of them deploy before, or were you a, a couple of them? But a lot of like a, a couple of like the leadership, a couple of the non-commissioned officers had been deployed. But most of the um, most of like the lower enlisted had not been deployed. Most of them had like, and they had their own little like you know group. And I was just like. Fuck it. And did they <laughs> know of. that when you came over there? Did they know that you're deployed, or was it this? Here's I the mean, I FNG. A, I mean, I have a fucking combat badge on my chest. They yeah. didn't really fuck with me. I just like, and I, I ended up becoming um, pretty good friends with a couple of them. One in particular, um, I became really good friends with. Um, but it took a while, and I don't. Know, and again, I don't know if that's a usual experience. It was harder for me watching, you know, someone who I'd become very good friends with get fucking killed in such a such a pointless way um, that made it so difficult for me, I think. But I would, I would say that going to a, a new unit after deploying is difficult. Um, beforehand, like it's kind of, you're the going to a new place. And even people who non-military can relate to it. Like, if you go to a new place with a pretty good backbone of experience, it it's kind of an awkward situation just being like, I'm the new guy here, but I have experience with this right. in the past. So it's kind of weird doing that all together. Um, yeah, like I'd, like I'd been a, I'd been a team leader uh, in El Paso. I was, a, what did I call myself, senior, senior PFC promotable. 
That's what it was because <laughs> I was within my window to get a waiver, but every time they sent the waiver up, it would just get lost at battalion because they were fucking incompetent. Yeah. So I went in and changed my rank to senior private first class and then parentheses promotable, which my platoon sergeant thought was hilarious. But like I, I was a fucking team leader as a private, and then I get to my new unit as a specialist, and they're like, here's your machine gun. And I'm like, I already know how to do this shit. Yeah. I'm like, better than all of you with a machine gun. But they're like, all right, you know, here you go. And I had one NCO who was like, you know what you're doing. We're getting you fucking promoted. And then he ended up um, volunteering for the deployment to Jordan, and he got shipped out, and nobody else gave a fuck. So I, like, I didn't care for quite a while. And I think my, uh, like, when my my leadership got changed out, my new platoon sergeant was really good at recognizing that because my own platoon sergeant kind of wrote me off. He's like, oh, and I think the way he described me to my my the new platoon leader which I only know because I became really good friends with him and he told me was like yeah he's really squared away but l- good luck getting him to do anything <laughs> I'm like that's accurate because you're giving me like shit jobs and I'm yeah. already, I already know what I'm doing and the new platoon platoon sergeant was really good at recognizing that so like I got promoted and like a month later he's like hey you're a squad leader we're going to a live fire which is you know an exercise with live ammunition and I've been a sergeant, which is supposed to be the base team leader, and he's like, "Hey, here's two le- two teams under you. Live fire, figure it out." And he he was really good at recognizing that, like, "Hey, if I light a fire under his ass, like he's gonna do a good yeah. job." But it took a long time. Like, I I I fucked around for quite a while when I got to a new unit. Like, I just didn't give a shit. Well, so a fun a fun thing on that is, I don't know if you guys have talked about it on the show, but there is. There's a fun little, like, secret Easter egg of existence in the army called the E4 Mafia. And uh, <laughs> Oh, dude, I was fucking <laughs> pro at that. I actually, so the E4 Mafia specialist is um, too high to do, like, bitch work, yeah. but too low to get any real responsibility. You're in this gray area, you, and if yeah, you're really you're, good at it, you'll just vanish. Yeah. Right? So you're, you're an E4, and E4 is specialist and corporal, but... Corporal's pretty rare. Like I've, seen, it's I've seen two. So the thing with corporal is basically like you're a specialist, but you're promotable to sergeant, but there's no slots in your unit. So yeah. you get transferred over to corporal and you get a little bit more like responsibility. Um, but there's, there's a thing called the E4 Mafia, which is being in that was my favorite time in the army oh, by far we used, um, we used to just go to the barracks and like sit in the room and watch youtube videos yeah. my squad leader who was a staff sergeant would come with us he didn't give a fuck you, so the thing is like you're you're high enough you've been in the army long enough that you know you don't have to do all the bullshit just because someone says to do it. You also know when when to make yourself sparse. Like, yeah, you do. You know you, when, like, you can kind of, like, smell it on the wind, like, it's time to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And all the privates will be standing there like, what's going on? Well, and then, and that's, you know, someone and higher up walks so in like, and is like, I need, like, ten of you to go mop this whole fucking building. And the specialists are nowhere to be found. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what happens. Like, E4, you, you realize, like, well, E4 is when you pick up smoking, first of all. Because... Somebody will come in and be like, all right, have a smoke break. And then everyone will go have a smoke. And then you think, like, I'm not smoking because I am i don't smoke. And then they're like, all right, everyone grab a broom. And you're like, wait, the fucking guys who went to smoke don't that's, have to That's grab the a real broom. reason why so many people smoke in the army? It is. Because you have to avoid you will not get a. you will not get a break unless you smoke. And if you smoke, you're getting a break, like... 
every hour at yeah. least. Because so like everyone smokes because it's like, hey, that's that's a good because your first off. sergeant's <laughs> gonna go have a smoke and he's gonna be like, all right, anyone want to have a smoke? And you'll go with him. And then if you don't smoke, you will be doing chores. Yep. And you don't have to do chores if you smoke. So that's why everyone in the army smokes. And it's like, it sounds funny to say. Like, it sounds like a silly thing to say. That's no, that is actually why everyone in the army smokes is because you get fucked if you don't. Yep. You get assigned (laughs) dumbass tasks. Like, you will get assigned inventory if you don't smoke. But if you smoke, you're outside. So you're out of, out of sight, out of mind. You don't have to worry about it. So everyone starts smoking when they're a specialist because you'll be a specialist and they'll be like, all right, well, I'm going to have a smoke. And you're going to be like, I'm going to do that too because I know what's about to happen. And then like 30 seconds later, you know, like the first sergeant walk in, all right, it's time to do sweeping. Yep. So my my favorite thing to do once I got promoted, and I and I like I resisted that shit. Like, I uh, I had a promotion ceremony. It was I was the only one that got promoted that month mm-hmm. in front of the entire company. Um, we still we have Velcro rank in the army because we're you know fucking handicapped and we yeah. can't be trusted to sew shit on. So we yeah. have so we have Velcro rank, <laughs> and true. I legitimately took super glue to the back of my specialist rank and stuck that shit on my chest. So my CO goes and it, it didn't work. My CO grabbed it and just ripped all the backing off with it. Um, but so he rips that shit off. He puts my sergeant rank on. He's like. All right, and he like t- spends a while talking me up because I'd been there for a couple years, and he's like, "All right, now I'll uh, I'll turn the floor over to Sergeant Weiss." And I looked at the company, and I'm like, "Remarks complete." <laughs> and my uh, my platoon sergeant busts out laughing. He's like, "Oh, you're uh, you're a man of many words." And I'm like, "I don't like fucking standing information." But, um, fought that shit every step of the way. But my uh, my favorite thing to do as as a sergeant as a squad leader is to walk in and be like, "I need two volunteers." And everyone knew it was up, and they'd all raise their hand. There'd be the one motherfucker who'd like slink back, like, "Don't pick me," and I'd be like, "You <laughs> sweep this whole fucking building." <laughs> I know who you are. You're a sergeant. It was always the you're, same. You're a specialist. It was I always it was are. always the same guy. He was a huge piece of shit. Yeah. Like, I I fully believe that you can find value in every single person. You just like some of them. You really have to work for it and figure out what they're good at and how to utilize it. He was the one person that I never found any value in in three years. Yeah. Biggest piece of shit in the army. He's he weighed, really good at sweeping he weighed, floors. He weighed now. 135 pounds, soaking wet, so he couldn't carry shit. He was dumb as a box of rocks, and he was lazy as all get out. I'm like, I don't know what to fucking do with you, man. Like, a fun, I, guess, I guess you could be a good sandbag. You just fucking lay I can, there. I can tell you, like, the, the best uh, E4 Mafia story I've ever seen in my life. Um... It actually made me happy. It and I was a sergeant, so I'm a sergeant, and I. So we have to do expiration checks on all the shit in the chopper, because it's medical equipment. So you have to go through it. So we're deployed, and I'm like, "All right, Leonard, I need you to go check all this stuff. Like, go check the expiration dates on this shit." Um. The intention being that he needs to check the expiration dates so that I can make sure nothing's expired. Um, of course, I told him to go check the expiration dates. It's been three hours, and I'm like, where the fuck is he? I, I suddenly realized, like, I told him to go do this shit. And I, so I go looking around. He's not in the chopper. He's not in He's not in the PX. Like he's. I'm looking around all over for him. I'm like, where the fuck is this guy? 
So we go back to our base, and he's sitting there playing Xbox, and I'm like, Leonard, I told you to check the expiration dates. He's like, yeah, no, I did. And I was like, I don't have them. What? And he's like, oh, you didn't say to bring them back. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> give, give that man a fucking medal. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's just he dead ass says it straight face he's just like oh you never said to bring him back Sarge and I'm like god damn it Leonard like, you're, well, you're, you're fucking, fucking right you, I didn't but my, I've my never favorite. seen someone be so E4 Mafia in my life my, my favorite E4 Mafia story with this dude named uh we have this dude named Amesworth who was like, he was just a fucking genius at shamming. First of all, he uh, yeah. he filled his canteens with Mountain Dew on patrol. So he, oh, pat- so shamming so he, so he is, passed out. Shamming well, has so, to do with the sham shield. So yeah, but, you have it's like a shield shape on the E4, the specialist uh, patch. It, it's, it's a shield. So it's often called the sham shield because you're shamming your way through everything. Shields you from army bullshit. Right. Yeah. But he so he so he that's would do the sham like, He would do things like fill his canteens with Mountain Dew so he'd pass out on patrol, have to get medevac, <laughs> he'd be gone for like a week. Like, it's fucking brilliant. So we get back from we get back from Afghanistan and he's he's in my squad and several months go by and someone's talking about like shamming out of work and he's like, When's the last time you saw me at PT? And like everyone stops and thinks about it, and I'm like, oh my god, you're right. When was the last time you were a PT? And he's like, never. It's like I show up for 30 minutes a day in whatever uniform I choose. I make sure that everyone sees my face, and then I leave, and people just assume that I'm doing shit. And I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, oh my god, you're fucking. It's been like five months. What do you do? Like, <laughs> I just go home. And I was like, like, how do you fucking get away with this? And he's like. I make sure that I have a conversation with everyone there, that everyone sees my face, and then I make sure that I casually mention to someone that I have, like, this thing, this magical, mystical thing that I need to take care of, and then I leave. And I'm like, you're a fucking goddamn genius. And then this dude, and then to, you know, top off all his shamming, his uh, his wife gives birth prematurely, so she's in um, she's in the NICU. He sham out of that too. He he stayed. He's like, I have to be in the NICU with her for like a month, and then he like said something about her cheating on him. Divorces her ass. Now he's a single parent because he gets full custody, and he gets single parent separation from the army. Shams his way right out of the fucking army. Like, dude, is, dude is a goddamn legend. Like, <laughs> so. So he took E4 to the max. Oh no, he was he was the the pinnacle of specialists. That is amazing. That's actually amazing. I was never able to top that. Like no, I, 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 had, I had some won't. good I had some good moments, but I never came close to topping that. <laughs> well, so my favorite moment that I ever pulled off was um, everyone like we got all the fucking laundry back. Well, fuck that day because that's the worst day. Because oh, you yeah. end up, you this dude, who is the guy who does brings the laundry back, doesn't give a fuck about your laundry. No. So he pulls that thing up to the dock, and he just gets out of his truck, lights up a smoke, and gets on the phone every single day, all the time. And I'm pretty sure this is the same guy who delivers laundry to every single base in the U.S. Because I've been to a lot of them, and I've. And it, that's what they do. <laughs> they 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 don't help you at all. 
They don't care. It's not his problem once it gets there, which I can respect. <laughs> but so then everyone like you need a, you need volunteers to take the laundry out of the truck in the bags and put it in the building. And so one of my favorites, I was a specialist at the time. It was right after I had a basic. And uh, so I see this truck go by the window and I'm like, oh, fuck, that's laundry truck. And then like 30 seconds later, I hear, all right, I need a couple of volunteers. And I was like, this is the first one. The first mm. volunteer isn't going to be the guy unloading the laundry. The first volunteer is going to be the guy going outside and counting pool. So I was like, I'm going to do that. Because everyone was like, I told everyone, I was like, laundry truck's here. Laundry truck's here. So I was like, I'm going to go outside. So I was like, I volunteer. So he's like, all right, you go outside. You're going to count pool. And I was like, yeah. And so then they're like, I need more volunteers. So everyone's like, oh, cool. I'm going to get out of the laundry thing, too. They all volunteer, and they're like, all right, you're going to haul laundry. And I was like, <laughs> I'm out of here. And so then I go outside, and my <laughs> there's this dude out there, and he's like, oh, I got this clipboard, and like I got all this stuff on it. And I was like, give me the clipboard. <laughs> and so I take it, and I'm like, all right, yeah, go check that. And I ended that's that's the one way to get out of doing anything is just have a clipboard yeah. and be like looking at it, be like, hmm. Yep. And then and people are like, exactly, oh, he's got something to do. That's exactly what I was doing. So you have a coffee cup, you have a coffee mug, and a clipboard in the army. You're doing something. It doesn't. Like, no one. No one's gonna say anything to you put if your, you have a clipboard. Put your patrol cap on the desk and fucking leave. <laughs> Literally, that was my objective. If I saw a clipboard and I knew I could get it, that was what I wanted to do all the time in the army. If there's a clipboard, I want to be holding it. Because if you're the guy with the clipboard, you're the guy with the, with command. It doesn't matter if someone has a higher rank than you. You got a clipboard, you're doing some shit. So I think one of my one of my best chamois moments um, was actually in Afghanistan when we were down to like 14 people. We had to um, we had to do like everything on the cop by ourselves because apparently the the mechanics were too good to fill the uh, generators because like we're not fuelers. And well, so, yeah. Why yeah. would they fill so, a generator? They they're only the guys who run the equipment, right? And they and they complained <laughs> to their leadership, who apparently cared more about them than our leadership, because our leadership was like, "Okay, you guys are filling the fuck the fucking generators." So well, we have, don't we have this little it. we had this tiny little bobcat, and we had three feet of fucking snow on the ground. So driving around the cop filling generators is a four hour event. Yeah, and we have four hours on, four hours off the of guard. So if you get picked to do this shit, you're on guard for four hours, you fill generators for four fucking hours, and then you're on guard for four hours again. It fucking sucks. So I, I'd done this a couple times. I got off guard, and I was like, you know what? I'm not fucking doing this shit again. Like, there's, there, it was the same NCO who would who would always pull people from out of his squad, which was me. So, I, so the bunk above me is empty, right? So I climb up on that shit, and I roll all the way over into the wall, and I pass out with, like, my face into the wall, so nobody can see me, like, unless they turn the lights on and they look up which they're not going to do because other people are asleep and you know people in his squad who he wanted to be courtesy of and let them sleep while he woke me up to fill fucking generators so he's not going to turn the light on he's not and I, I hear him come in and woke me up and I hear him like shake my bed and he's like wait wait where are you at and he's like oh, I can't fucking find him and he walks out of the room and I'm laying up there on the bunk like chuckling at myself and I stayed up there until until like it was time for my next fucking guard shift I'm like yep got out of that shit <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's like, where the fuck were you? I'm like, oh, I was down in the uh, MWR in the computer. And he's like, I looked down there and I'm like, guess he didn't look hard enough. Like, because I was totally down there, man. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite times was I was, uh, I was at the DFAC and I heard my first sergeant come in and he was like, hey, we need some extra people to pull guard shift. And I was like, fuck, I got three bars. I know I'm going to be in that shit. <laughs> but I, I know for a fact with my chevrons, I'm going to be up on that motherfucking <laughs> wall. Like, I'm going to be guarding that shit. So <laughs> he comes, like, through the door. And as I, like, hear him coming, I ducked. I jumped <laughs> underneath the table. <laughs> so I was playing pool, and I jumped underneath the pool table. And then I, like, tucked in. And I was like this. And he's yelling. He's like, any of y'all seen Roland? And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> And everyone's like, I don't know where he went. He was in here earlier. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, I knew it because you're like, yeah, if he tries to assign a private, they can be like, oh, I got to do this thing. But if you're a sergeant, like you have to. Yeah. So I was like, I know, I know what's going to happen. So I ducked in there. I hid. Luckily, everyone had my back. <laughs> and so they were like, we don't know where he is. He's not in here. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go to his tent. So I was like, cool, cool. And then one of the guys, like, kicks me, and he's like, he's gone. I'm like, right on. So I roll out, and I was like, I got to leave. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, cool. So I, I, like, dipped out the back, and, like, I hear him coming around the back side. And he's like, Roland, where you at? And I'm like, fuck. I jumped into a dumpster. <laughs> he's like, he's walking around the defect. He's like, where the fuck could he be? I literally hear him talking to himself about like, where the fuck is he? Because I knew it was my turn. Like, I was up next. Like, everyone else had pulled extra shifts on the wall. And so I knew I was up. So I hid in the dumpster and I heard him walk by it. And he... <laughs> He's like standing outside of the dumpster I'm hiding in, and I hear him light up a smoke, and he's like, "What the fuck is he?" <laughs> and he's like, "Cause, like, we reported where we went yeah. uh, at Kandahar because we had to." So he's like, "Yeah, I said he was a defect," and I, like I hear him thinking out loud to himself, and I'm hiding in the dumpster. There's like shit and flies, and I'm like. This is still better than pulling guard. Like, <laughs> I'm just hiding in there, and I'm sitting right there, and I hear him, and he's like, ah, fuck it, I'll go talk to Olander. And I was like, yeah, that's all right. So <laughs> he leaves, and I crawl out of the dumpster, and Olander comes. Olander was my roommate. like He was in the tent with me. And he comes back, and he's like, fuck you, as soon as he walks in. <laughs> and he's like, where were you? And I was like, I hid in the dumpster. I heard him coming, and I heard him talking, and I heard him decide he was going to pick you, and he's like, no, fuck you. you. You earned that shit. <laughs> the, thing with, the thing with higher-ups is I think they just pick, like, the stupidest people to promote sometimes. And, like, you can just, a lot of times you can get away with doing what you want by just bluffing really hard. Like, we, we bought Merrells, just, like, fucking hiking boots. Yeah. We were in Afghanistan, and my, my mortar 
first sergeant who never left the wire was really big on like regulations. Like, never mind that we're in an outpost Not in the like middle the of the Nike ones in fucking <laughs> Afghanistan. But you know, let's let's really worry about how we're dressed. Never mind that we haven't showered in three months. Like, let's really worry about this shit. <laughs> so I'm walking around outside, and he's like, he looks at me, and he's like, Private Weiss, are those authorized? And I look down at him, I'm like, um. Yes. <laughs> and he looks at me and, and like he kind of gives me this eye and I'm like they're only authorized for patrol, not for wear around the cop, but I'm just breaking them in right now. And he's like, oh, okay. Then he walks off and I was like, Woo. <laughs> <laughs> now they're fucking well, hiking boots. They're not goddamn authorized. <laughs> that actually reminds me of, uh, of a sham shield thing that I did. When I was a specialist, my first deployment I was... The, so you... I don't know if you, you might not remember, like, when the Nike boots Oh, yeah, came out. I remember the okay. Nike boots. The Nike boots were awesome. Those were a big thing. They were the best. Were and then they got unauthorized <laughs> yep. because the sole wasn't thick enough. Yep. And so I had the Nike boots, and I shammed hard on those fuckers because I still wore them because I had literally just spent $130 yep. on them. And they did not care. <laughs> and then the next day... They became unauthorized, and I was like, fuck that. I'm yeah. wearing them because they're comfy, and I just bought them. So I was wearing them anyway. I wore them for, like, three months. So one time, this uh, officer comes up to me. He's like, are those authorized boots? And I was like, nope, they're Nikes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and so he didn't, like, he, didn't, he didn't even know what to do. He's like, uh... Uh, we you can't wear unauthorized boots, private. All right, not a private. I'm a specialist, so. And then he's like, "All right, well, you can't wear unauthorized boots." And I I, I just went, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Do you have other boots?" "Yep, I do." And he goes, "All right, well." <laughs> Put them on, and he left. And I was like, "Nope, not gonna do that." <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to handle that shit half the time. <laughs> it's like, because so. because he thought I was gonna lie to him and tell him they were authorized, and I was like, "Nope, not authorized <laughs> at all. <laughs> not even a little bit." <laughs> but then it, he didn't know how to handle it. He was like, "Uh, well, do you you have some?" Nope. Yeah, I do. Garden word about two. Not hours. gonna put them yeah. on. Yeah. What do you say we... Oh. Uh, oh, no, we can wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. Thanks again for everyone for tuning in. Uh, thank you, Steve, for taking the time out of your evening and coming down. Thank you, Casey, for staying up late with us. And thanks, Rick, for making the trek all the way across yeah. Green Bay just to be on the show. It's what it was. Nothing to do with your family over no, here. No, not at all. <laughs> Actually, he hasn't seen them at all. It's pretty great. <laughs> no. Well, I can't. My dad's fucking I hear two wine boxes box, of wine yeah. <laughs> well, now it has to be three. Ranting about a wall in a thick Armenian accent? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> God damn. If anyone has any comments, questions, qu qu concerns, or would like to, uh, if you'd like to be on the show, uh, please send me an email at dearamericapodcast at gmail.com. If you want to keep up with up to date on future shows, please find me on Facebook and Instagram at dearamericapodcast. And more importantly, if there are any veterans out there that are listening and you're in crisis, you're in a bad spot, please reach out and talk to a friend, a family member. Uh, if you're battle buddy, uh, call them, talk to them. 
Uh, and if you look in the description of this show, I have the Veterans Crisis Hotline number and text number. Please talk to them and find resources to help you out. Uh, truly, um, you know, like if you listen to episode three, we really got into that topic, Steve. Uh, you know, what you're raising. And what's the name of the the uh, fundraiser that you're working with? Twenty third veteran. We have a ten mile ruck march in Duluth. Uh, next weekend, next Saturday, actually. So well, this Saturday, we're probably going to be late. So. But and you know, <coughs> what's the best way for anybody to get a hold of the the fundraiser? Um, you just contact them. <coughs> All right, go through their website. Um, I don't. I think the the um, program they have scheduled for this year is supposed to be female only. But they've said that if they don't like meet numbers, that they'll just start accepting anyone who applies. Well, you have to be a veteran, but you know, right. perfect. And if well, you I've, wanna... used, I've used the veteran hotline, so yeah, use it. Crisis yeah. hotline, use it. Perfect. You should. And if you want to keep up to date with my other show, Rules of the Arena, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. Rules of the Arena podcast. Thanks again for everybody listening, and I will catch you next time.